I had been single for a very long time. My kids kept telling me to get back in the swing of things, but I kept making excuses. My nephew told me about this dating site. He said there was no harm in talking to people, so I tried it out. I put everything out there, so there were no surprises when or if they met me. I thought that if they still contacted me after reading all I had described about myself, and we matched, then perhaps I would have a coffee with them. I matched with a few and the conversation went well. I met with one gentleman who was way too regimental for my crazy life and kindly declined any more involvement with him. Another guy seemed too pushy and acted like I should be honored to be in his presence. And then came Richard. I had very low self-esteem at the time. That being said, Richard seemed great. We carried on conversations for hours. He lived an hour and a half away, so all we really could do was talk to each other. We talked about our kids, dreams, goals. My daughter even friended one of his sons on Facebook. I was a secretary for some self-help meetings in my town, and he was going to school to be a counselor. Perfect, right? Well, we talked for at least four months, but after a while I noticed that he kept having small problems come up arguments with his mum, with whom he was living. No money for gas, his truck broke down, his eldest boy was mad at him, just little things, you know? Not anything that would set me off. But it was his, poor me, to heck with it, attitude. I tried to let it go, and really be a positive influence in his life. His mother and boys loved me, and told me that they had never seen him so happy. Time went on, and we were still talking every day. I had an opportunity to come see him and of course my daughter went with me, so she could meet his son in person as well. I took him and his son out to eat at the only little coffee shop in that town. I knew I was on a fixed income, but I paid anyway because he was going to school and didn't have an income as of yet. We had a good time. We met at his son's house on the hilltop town and we were having such a good time that I didn't even notice that snow was coming down hard and the roads were icing up. So my daughter and I stayed the night in one of his rooms. It seemed like the closer we got to his family, the more distant they became to him. It was odd. The next day the roads were clear. We said our goodbyes and I went home. Before we left, I received one extra hug from his son's mother-in-law. She whispered in my ear, don't fall for him. I thought that maybe there was something she didn't like about me. That came out of left field. The next few days we didn't talk, which I thought was odd. Did I do something wrong? Someone from the self-help meeting told me that there was a man looking for me. She said that he looked disheveled and smelled like alcohol. This wasn't a surprise because I had helped quite a few people get back on their feet and maybe this one fell off the wagon and just needed to talk. As I was driving down the street, I saw a truck in my driveway. I didn't recognize it at first, but it was him. He found out where I lived and was sitting in front of my house. At first, I was happy, until I looked in his truck and saw him slumped over reeking of booze. At that point, my fixed mode set in, and I asked him in for some strong coffee. He told me that he had a blowout with his mother and she kicked him out and his boys won't talk to him. 
I got him some clean clothes and told him to take a shower. I figured we could sort it out the next day. In the meantime, I was taking him to a meeting. He sobered up and agreed to go. The whole time at the meeting, my friends were acting like I had lost my mind. Did they see something I was blind of? We went back to my house and he seemed okay. Almost too okay, like nothing at all happened. My son pulled me aside and told me he didn't like him much, but thought maybe he was just being overprotective. I should have paid attention. We went to the store because I wasn't prepared for the extra mouth and bought four two liters of soda, a gallon of milk and two monsters for him and my son, some chips and stuff for dinner. After we ate, we all watched TV and headed off to bed. I let him sleep in the spare bed in my room, but in the middle of the night, he tried to get frisky. At that point, no, my grown kids were in the other room and something just didn't sit well with me. Like he wasn't the same man he was before. The next morning, my daughter came running out of the bathroom angry. She said in a loud voice, someone pissed all over the toilet. He didn't say a word. Later, we were all eating breakfast and he started to let food drip out of his mouth onto the table and floor and was spitting food as he was talking. He took three two liters and drank them back to back, letting some run down his chin. Then, yes, there's more. He took the remote and started to set recordings for his favorite shows, deleting a few of my grandchildren's recordings set for weeks in advance. Wait, wait, wait. What are you doing, my friend? This isn't cool, I told him, but he acted like I said nothing. Then he went to the refrigerator and told me that I have to go to the store and buy more soda and stuff, as it was all gone. He even drank my son's monster and the whole gallon of milk. At this point, my daughter was also livid, so she contacted his son and he proceeded to tell her that his mum kicked him out the house because he wouldn't get a job and was stealing money and eating them out of house and home. His other son won't talk to him because he keeps asking for money and won't pay it back. He himself was mad at him for lying to me by telling me that he was going to school when he wasn't and was using me as his next big meal ticket. Well, that was it. I got all his stuff together, took it to his truck and asked him to leave. It doesn't end there. He had loosened some bolts on his transmission, making it impossible to move. He begged and pleaded with me to stay. He was at the point snot was coming out of his nose. He said he just wanted to be close to me and that if that meant sleeping in his truck, he would and that he couldn't live without me. Well, hell to the no. I called his oldest son and told them that if they didn't come with a tow truck and get their dad, his fate wasn't going to be nice. They arrived two hours later, apologizing for his father's actions. We found out through his son that for many years he had gone through many unhealthy relationships and took advantage of a lot of women that fell for his lies. He is still trying to friend me on Facebook to this day. I work at a hotel in my town and was driving my husband's truck to work as he was taking mine to the shop to get serviced. He has a very large truck and I only drive it when I absolutely have to. When I pull into the side parking lot, I notice the entire lot is covered in snow 
and no one can see the lines for the spots. I look like a moron and try to park in what I hope is a spot, backing up and moving forward several times. When I finally park, I get out of the truck and grab my backpack. When I hear someone yelling from the sidewalk from behind the parking lot, you need to learn how to park. I'm embarrassed, but just close the truck door, lock it, and begin walking to the front of the building. Now, the hotel has a side entrance for employees, but it takes a code and I have a bad memory. So I just walk to the front and go through the main entrance and I hear the guy yell again. Did you hear me? I walk faster and take a peek behind me. The guy's following me. I keep walking, but call back. Please leave me alone, I need to get to work. Before I can reach the corner of the building and make my way to the entrance, the guy grabs my arm and spins me around. I'll never forget what this guy looked like for as long as I live. He wore dark clothes with a torn up winter coat. His eyes were bloodshot and he smelled like a combination of cigarettes and whiskey. I guess he must have been drunk, but didn't slur at all when speaking. You're coming with me. The guy began dragging me back to the truck and I tried to pull my arm away from him. Let go of me. Give me the key. We're taking a drive. I begin yelling for help and his grip on my arm got tighter. I'm a 26 year old woman, not skinny, but a lot smaller than this guy. He was dragging me easily and the snow on the ground just made my feet slide along. Someone help, please. No one was near us and I keep fighting to get away from this guy. I prayed that there would be guests that could possibly hear me, but it was our slow season. So most likely there'd be no one in the rooms on that side of the building. The guy turns back to glare at me. Shut up and give me the keys. Now I was carrying my backpack on one shoulder as it was big and bulky from my uniform and shoes. I quickly slipped the strap down my arm, grab it and swung it right into his face. The guy let me go and I just ran for my life to the front doors. I heard the guys screaming, but ignored him. I was way too scared to look back at him. I ran inside and all the way to the employee locker room. When I finally calmed down enough, I went to the front desk to talk to security. Sadly, there were no cameras on that side of the building, so nothing was recorded. They called the cops and made a report. The cops informed the general manager of the hotel that they needed to seriously consider security cameras on that side of the building as drunks and drug users were known to be in this area, as there was a bar just a few streets down. They got a description for the guy and said they would keep an eye out for him. The manager apologized like crazy about the incident, but I told him it wasn't his fault. He's a really good guy. I did ask the security guards to follow me out so that I could check on the truck. Thankfully, it was fine. The security guard promised to make more rounds outside, especially that early in the morning. So I told my husband, he drove me to work the next day and I was happy to see that security were keeping their word and they would make rounds outside that time of morning. They still currently are. I'm driving myself to work again, but I don't get out of my truck until I see the security guard. He watches to make sure I get in okay. I think he's also hoping to catch the guy if he comes back. The guy that covers him on his days off does the same thing. 
I'm going to be obtaining pepper spray, perhaps something else after work today. I haven't heard from the police yet, and I may not. Hopefully the guy was scared off from coming back to this area. Or maybe he tried to go back, and the security guard scared him off. Either way, I hope to never see him again unless he's in handcuffs and being taken to jail. And thankfully, he didn't get my backpack. In any case, I hope to never meet him again. Up until junior year of high school, I flew mostly under the social radar and stuck to my status as a nerd girl. But when I was 15, I joined Varsity Cheer. My school's cheerleaders weren't popular by definition, but everyone kind of knew who they were because we were on the announcements, performed at pep rallies, and generally engaged with the students a lot. I made a lot of friends that year, and some of them happened to be the cool kids. For a while, I thought this was my long-awaited karma payoff for the years of bullying I'd suffered at their hands. I even developed a crush on one of them. A crush, which the junior cheer captain volunteered herself to help me pursue. Homecoming is a big deal where I'm from. And I began to fantasize about my crush, asking me to go with him. I'd heard rumors he was planning a dramatic proposal as homecoming season approached. I'd become more and more sure I would be his date. And the junior cheer captain who was close with him kept dropping hints that I was right. One day at practice, she asked me what my favorite candy was and I knew it would be so my crush would know what to give me. You can imagine my surprise when after an exhausting theater rehearsal, I walked into the parking lot and was confronted by a guy I hardly spoken to asking me to be his date. My theater friends all applauded, assuming I was overjoyed. I saw both my parents in the parking lot recording the whole surprise but most importantly, the cool kids I'd recently befriended were standing right there behind him, egging him on. I didn't understand why, because he wasn't popular at all. In fact, he was known to be kind of a creep. The junior cheer captain was laughing, encouraging him to give me the box of my favorite candy he was holding. She definitely orchestrated the whole thing. I didn't really know the guy but I didn't want to humiliate him in front of the coolest kids in school, so I faked a smile and rolled with it, and promised myself I'd deny him later in private so he wouldn't be embarrassed. Afterwards, when my parents excitedly asked me how I felt about the ordeal, I explained how uncomfortable it made me. I said that I got super creepy vibes from the guy. That didn't fly with my parents. My mother accused me of having expectations too high and my father demanded to know, not for the first time, if I was secretly a lesbian. I had never had a boyfriend or shown much interest in dating. To make his case stronger, I'd just become best friends with the only openly gay girl our school had ever seen. Long story short, I knew that if I shut down my date, I'd effectively declare war on my parents. However, I played my dad's protective instinct against him and persuaded him to let me friendzone my date. After all, he knows how high school boys can think, right? I texted my date that night and explained that I only saw us as friends, but would still be happy to go to homecoming with him. He was very polite about it, although I could tell he was interested in me romantically. 
It seemed we'd reached a deal until the next day at school, when one of my cheerleader friends referred to my date as my boyfriend. I corrected her and told her we're just gonna homecoming as friends. She seemed confused and told me my date was telling anyone who would listen that I was his girlfriend. A few more of my friends approached me with similar comments and I confronted my date about them. He denied all involvement and suggested it was just a rumor. I reminded him that we were just friends and I had zero romantic interest in him. He said he understood. I got a call from the junior cheer captain. She pretended to be sweet and conspiratorial, but I was still annoyed that she'd led me to believe my crush would ask me to homecoming. She began her attempt to persuade me that I was wrong to friends on my date. She said that she'd spent many afternoons planning his proposal with him, and she knew he was kind of creepy from afar, but was sweet and caring underneath it all. I said, if he was such a catch, she should date him. Annoyed, she dropped the sweet act. She told me I had to date him, because he'd liked me so much and he'd gone to so much trouble to ask me for homecoming. I had to give him a chance, because he had gone out on a limb for me. I told her she was wrong. I didn't have to do anything, and I didn't want to, and I owed him nothing. I ended up hanging up on her soon after, but that was just the beginning. Starting the next Monday, he would corner me in the hallway and give me a rose held in his teeth. He usually did so between my sixth and seventh period, when my path through the hall crossed his. I was deeply uncomfortable with this and told him so, but he wouldn't stop. I took different routes to escape him, but the junior cheer captain and her posse made a point of tracking me down so that he could find me everywhere. Every time he did this, everyone in the area would treat it as a sweet romantic gesture, despite my obvious discomfort. Wouldn't any girl be lucky to have a boy so devoted to give her a rose every day? He was still telling everyone I was his girlfriend. The final straw for me was when he walked into a class he wasn't in to find me and give me my daily rose. My teacher who was friends with the junior cheer captain let this happen. For weeks afterwards, she would ask me about my date every day. When he came in, I told him to get out and leave me alone. His feelings were clearly hurt, and he left, looking like a kicked puppy. My classmates had started calling me a cold, hard so-and-so. It didn't matter what I had to say about him. I was an ice queen refusing his sweet advances. Everyone in the school had decided that I was in love with him, and nobody cared what I had to say about it. My crush, who was part of the popular group, joined the junior cheer captain in persuading me to return my date's feelings. At every event where the cheerleaders were present, my date would push his way in front of the crowd and would go to great lengths to get my attention. At football games, he would have a flag in the student section so I'd look at him where we were cheering. The other girls would make comments on how endearing he was when he waited in the parking lot by our bus back to the school, just to hug me and tell me how great I did. I didn't know what else to do other than let it happen. I had only recently ascended to a position of visibility. If I conflicted too hard with the cool kids who were so dead set on setting me up with this guy, I could be an outsider all over again. I just kept ranting to my real friends about how creepy he was and publicly let him do what he wanted. 
it would all blow over. My school had a 15 second attention span, so some scandal had to one up me sooner or later. The truth emerged, as usual, in the locker room. It turns out the junior cheer captain had been telling him during their afternoons together that I was into him. He'd come to her for help announcing his crush on me. And she'd gone a step further and convinced him I felt the same, despite the fact I didn't even know his name. She'd lied to him for weeks prior to the homecoming proposal, and when I told her that she was wrong, she didn't care. She told me I should be grateful because everyone was starting to think I was gay. My best friend, the lesbian who was starting a gay revolution and I, inspired and spread a rumor that we were dating. After all, everyone already thought I was gay, right? But my date wasn't phased. In fact, he told everyone that he'd just turned me straight again. What? Three weeks after he asked me, it was finally homecoming night. Thanks to cheer obligations and a complete coincidence involving a switched backpack that left me without my dress, I ended up only attending the dance for half an hour. My date awkwardly stood on the side of the room while I danced my heart out to Mr. Brightside. I almost felt bad for him. Right at the end, the junior cheer captain appeared like a summoned demon to suggest we slow dance at the next opportunity. Thank God I escaped that one by walking to the DJ and suggesting he play Footloose. My date walked me to the parking lot to wait for my mum to pick me up. While we waited for her to drive around, which took entirely too long because she'd still hoped I'd stop making a fuss and date him, he asked me out, to which I politely declined. He quickly stammered that we could go with a group of people, like the junior cheer captain and my crush, I denied him again, and made it very clear that we were only friends, and I wasn't interested in romantic endeavors because I was too busy. That was actually true. I was in all advanced classes, varsity theater and cheer, and worked part-time. A few days later, a teacher eloped to Vegas, and nobody cared about my love life anymore. My date and I would distance again by classes and activities and work. It appeared that everything was going back to normal. And that Friday at the football game, my crush asked me to sit on his shoulder for the alma mater. Kind of a romantic thing at the school. Overjoyed, I accepted, and I hoped this would be the beginning of a new chapter for me. I ignored the frantically waving flag in the stands. Monday, my date stood on a chair in his second period class and announced that everyone should be wary of my crush because he would steal your girl. I heard everyone buzzing about it a few hours later when someone called me something horrible for breaking my date's heart. I knew I was being dramatic, but I decided not to get lunch that day, afraid of running into him. I'm so glad I didn't. Later, I saw on Snapchat that my date had carved my name into his arm with a pair of scissors. His bleeding arm was screenshotted and sent to me by half a dozen people, most of them demanding why it hurt him like this. He did it into the middle of lunch in a crowded cafeteria, and somehow no administration either noticed or cared. The school was buzzing. My date was a broken-hearted victim, and I was the evil, secretly gay, awful girl who wouldn't give him a chance. I got so many dirty looks. 
By fifth period, I was just ready to walk out, but my good girl instincts kicked in and I decided to tough it out for two more hours. Around that time, I got a panic text from one of my cheer friends. While she'd initially been insistent that I date the creepy guy, she'd apparently changed her mind after the lunch incident earlier. She told me that my date, who was in her fifth period class, was going off the rails. He had started out saying that he wanted to end his own life because I wouldn't love him. And this had escalated to saying that he would end my crush for lying to me and stealing me away. Finally, he started talking about how he knew where I lived. My parents had initially given him my address when he initially wanted to ask me to the dance at my house and he would make me pay for wrongdoing him. I knew that after sixth period, our paths would cross the hall. Since the beginning of this ordeal, the school had cracked down on students getting outside and my alternate route to escape him was no longer an option. My class was at the far end of the hall with nowhere to go in this central hub. And he would be coming from the other end of the hallway towards mine. I was stuck up a chimney, basically. Desperate, I messaged the junior cheer captain to finish what she started and tell him that I was not interested, had never been interested in him at all, and she'd made this mess and I would make sure she had to clean it up. She said she'd go to the counselor, but she didn't know what else to do, as this was now way beyond her control. For the first time, and only time, I skipped class. I hid out in the theater hall and waited for seventh period. I got a few messages during the passing period that my date was waiting for me by the bathrooms. There was a little alcove right where you can't see people coming around the corner. And the thought of him hiding there and waiting for me to walk by alone horrified me. Right before seventh period began, a few of my classmates burst in, cackling and proclaiming that my date was coming down the hall to finish the life of my crush. They thought this was hilarious. Judging by the look on my crush's face, this wasn't a joke to him anymore. Our teachers brushed it off as typical theater drama, pun fully intended. And I watched the clock and tried not to cry, knowing that by the time the bell rang, my date would be outside, waiting for me and my crush to emerge. That day ended up being a work day. So my crush and I were able to escape the classroom and hide outside elsewhere in the theater hall to get away from him. He opted for the black box theater and I went for the lighting closet. Obviously, I didn't witness what happened, but my best friend filled me in afterwards. Allegedly, my date had turned up three minutes before the bell rang and stood outside the classroom where we couldn't see him. When we opened the door, he told everyone standing around that he was ready to have a fight with my crush. And apparently, he had a weapon. We didn't know if this was true or not, but the idea that he might terrified me. His arm was wrapped in paper towels that he was bleeding through. My best friend told him my crush and I were gone, but he didn't believe her and he stood outside for 25 minutes until the administrators began walking through to make sure no one was still in the school who shouldn't be. My date wasn't in theater, so he wasn't allowed to stick around. That night, I messaged him. Not only would I never date him, but could no longer even see a friendship between us. I sent him a number to a hotline and told him to get help. Finally, I told him he needed to learn what no meant 
and I never wanted to speak to him again. He responded that he was sorry and asked if there was anything he could do to fix this. I told him, no. I don't think he learned the meaning of the word after all, because the same pattern repeated itself a few months later down the line on Valentine's Day, and the next year at homecoming, senior year Valentine's Day, and prom. But these are other stories. I've since graduated, and gone off to college hundreds of miles away from him. My family back home moved from the address my parents gave him, and contrary to popular belief, I'm not gay. My crush, on the other hand, came out a few months later, and we were friends for the rest of high school. I'm working on handling romantic endeavors in a healthy way. But he got in my head. He was the first person to ever show an interest in me. Ironically, the last time I saw him was my first and only homecoming game after graduating. But this time, I had true friends to defend me when he predictably tried to pull some weird stuff. The worst part looking back was somehow being at fault for everything. To this day, people from my high school reference the whole ordeal as that time you wouldn't date that poor shy kid. I can't even appreciate red roses anymore. I have played World of Warcraft since its release, and up until two years ago when my first daughter was born. I met my husband because of the game and had two babies. That game saved me from the cruel reality that I was forced to endure at the hands of my father. I was safe in this virtual world, away from his sick perversion and harsh words and actions. I love to raid a lot, I mean religiously. And as a 16-year-old girl playing a game dominated by men, I got a lot of attention. 90% of it being negative. This is one of those, although I didn't think so at first. My guild and I were raiding, and our main tank was sick, so we were low for a body for Nax. We found a new tanker from a sister guild and began our raid night. I was a healer and was assigned to said new tank. He was super nice, very talkative, and we talked a lot that night, even long after the raid had ended. We even went so far as to exchange MySpace and email. His name in game was Razor, so that's what I always called him. My name in game was Chastity, so that's what he called me. We didn't use real names, and I'm so very glad that never happened. We spoke for ages, and I was thrilled to discover he lived not 25 minutes away. Now seeing as how I was a 16 year old girl, I posted way too much information on MySpace. Razor and I spoke for weeks and weeks, and he was so nice and even helped me through a tough breakup. We talked on the phone until the wee hours of the morning, and he listened to me cry and offered kind advice to a very lonely, stupid teenage girl. Keep in mind, he said he was 27 at the time. Looking back at this now, I realized how creepy it was becoming a lot earlier than I noticed it back then. He started flirting, and I must admit I flirted back too. But then he got sexual, and as a 16-year-old girl, I lived for attention. Then his emails got slightly violent. One incident in particular I remember was an email he sent where he told me in graphic detail how much he would like to have me. And stupidly, even after reading that, I still spoke to him. It was extremely graphic. One day after walking my dog through the park, I returned home to the phone ringing off the hook. No one was home, 
which was normal as both my parents worked a lot. I answered it and it was him. The first thing he said was, I saw you today. You're so cute. He described my dog, everything, what I was wearing and even my makeup. Uh, why didn't you say hi? Oh, I didn't want to scare you. You know me, if you saw me, I have a lot of scars, mostly on my neck. Even back then in my stupidity, I started to get scared. Yeah, from what? From glass. All I remember him next saying was, can I come in? I slammed the phone down and grabbed two of the biggest knives in the kitchen. I grabbed my dog, a 200 pound St. Bernard and hauled her into my room. I barricaded my door and heard someone pounding the front door. The pounding continued for what seemed like hours until it got dark. I jumped at every single noise I heard until my mum got home. I never answered any more of his phone calls or emails after that, though he sent tons and emailed me several hundred times a day. I'm so glad I never opened that door. I'm a chubby male, so creepers tend to leave me alone. When I was 19, I lived in Kentucky, pretty far from my North Michigan hometown. It was this little town called Pikeville, where there was very little crime. I actually kind of miss it, but I digress. My family came down to visit me for my birthday that year, and we agreed to meet up at the Hardys in town the morning after they arrived. I got there a lot earlier than them, and me being the type to show up 15 minutes early to everything, and them being the type who show up late. As I was standing outside waiting, this guy walks up to me. If you've ever lived in a place like this, you'll know everyone is super friendly. So it didn't strike me as odd when he began talking to me. During our conversation, all kinds of alarm bells should have gone off. Like after he found out I was in college, he said he saw me at a party. This is impossible, as I never once went out to a party. When he found out that I'm a gamer nerd, he started talking all about playing D&D all the time. He kept taking sips out of some alcohol bottle, mind you it's 10am at this point, and offered me some as well. He began talking about how he lost all his friends because he got into drugs, and I felt a little bad for him. He asked if I wanted to walk around for a bit, and since I knew my family wouldn't be there for a while, I went. This guy had been talking about how he lost all his friends due to drugs, and I felt bad for the guy. That, coupled with the fact that I hadn't encountered anyone like this, and the lack of crime kind of disarmed that warning part of my brain. We walked and spoke for a little while, maybe 10 minutes, before I realised that we were in a shady looking part of town. I had never even realised there were shady parts of town of this small town, but here we were. We stopped in front of a house that looked long abandoned with this dark, narrow, sketchy alley next to it. He starts talking about how he knows two girls that live here, and how they like to party. He tells me about how DTF they are, and asks if I want to meet them. It was at this point my common sense finally kicks in. I'm in a bad part of town with a sketchy guy I don't know, who's just talking about doing drugs, and no one knows I'm here. And now he wants me to go into an obviously abandoned house under the guise of meeting some ladies. I obviously decline his offer 
and immediately said I needed to go back to my family, as they were waiting. He seemed a little upset by this, and then asked if I could help him move a pool table into his van, which was conveniently parked down the alley. I declined as well. This is when he began to reach into his jacket pocket. Since those bells started going off, I realized just how much it might look like this guy might try and shank me. At this moment, my stepmom did the only thing she ever did for me. She called me to see where I was, and I took this as an opportunity to hastily exit. The creep followed me for three blocks. I don't know what exactly that he wanted, but it was probably just to rob me. Still, that area has a good amount of disappearances and is one of the worst in the country for people being taken. I don't know what could have happened had I agreed, but I can't help but think that one of them is a scene from The Silence of the Lambs, where Bill lures a victim into his van. I hope he got the help he needed and is doing better, but I also hope just as much that I never have the misfortune of running into him again. I had a first date with a girl. We had a happy hour dinner that went well, so we wanted to keep things going. There were a decent number of red flags flying, chief among them being her ex-boyfriend was a one percenter in a local bike gang and was in prison. But she was hot and I'm an idiot, so we wandered down the street to her favorite bar. At this point, she's a full-on social butterfly, wandering the bar chatting to all the regulars. So instead of following her around like a puppy dog, I just saddle up at the bar and start talking to the group of guys next to me. Nice dudes, very chatty and amiable. Eventually, a number of bikers pull up. Now I'm a bit concerned and ask my new friends if everything's cool since I've told them my situation. They reassure me that everything's fine and I'm welcome there. Maybe an hour later, I wander off to the bathroom, come back, and these dudes tell me in a concerned tone that I need to leave, now. To this day, I have no idea what happened, but there was no mistaking the urgency of their tone. So I promptly paid my tab and headed out to my car. I hadn't seen my date in a while, so I was a bit surprised when she came running out of the bar, jumped to the passenger seat and yelled, drive. No high speed chase or anything after that. But let's just say I was freaked the hell out. Let me start by stating I'm a 24 year old female and downloaded Tinder to see what it was all about. I didn't put too much into it though. I never took it seriously. I never take much seriously. Most of the things I do were for a laugh. I think I tend to forget that the internet is not a game and that there are real life people behind that screen. I get on the bus back home after a long day of running errands. I sit down and from the corner of my eye, notice a heavy set man staring at me. I'm used to being stared at, so I ignore him. Also note, my Tinder account has been officially terminated months ago. I sneeze, he says bless you, and I say thank you. He was a heavy set guy with full hair, green eyes and an olive complexion. He then hands me a tissue. It's clean, don't worry. And then he gives me a piece of gum, five gum to be exact. I say thank you and throw it in my backpack. One mile, he says. Based on how he speaks, I think he might be a little on the special side. His voice was slow and low. Huh? One mile, 
that was on your Tinder. It said you were one mile away. I recognize you. We spoke for a bit. Then you stopped chatting. He then gives me one of those chocolate balls that are wrapped in all fancy like red. I then nervously giggled and told him I deleted my account. To be honest, I didn't even remember chatting with him. I would just swipe right on any and everybody. He asked me repeatedly for my number and I gave it to him because I'm really bad at rejecting people in person. He immediately called me to confirm it was my number. And at this point, I got off at a different bus stop, close to home but not too close, and sped walked home. I threw away his candies, blocked his number, and I really hope it was just a coincidence and that he wasn't trying to find me. It was Friday night. My weekend had just begun. I was on Xbox Live and playing Overwatch and eating now cold pizza, like lots of my friends were. I was kicking considerable ass more than I usually would at this game and was on fire. For non-Overwatch players, that basically means you're doing really good. At around 2am, I decided to step up my game and go into competitive mode. I got into a match at King's Row, and I was playing Pharaoh on defense. I got a 15 player kill streak, but noticed five of these kills were on the same guy, a Bastion. I remember his username. The match goes on for another minute, and then I get an invite to a party. The gamer tag was the same as the Bastion I had killed for the sixth time. I wasn't in a party, since all my friends had called it a night, except for me at that point. I decide that whatever he wanted to say could be interesting, so I added him. Now I usually expect some kids a few years younger than me to be talking slack, but to my surprise it was a grown man on the other end. More to my surprise, he sounded in his 30s rather than close to my age, and he had a thick Spanish accent. Immediately this guy starts cussing me out. I can't lie when I say I half expected this to happen when I got a party invite. Now, I have the mentality that when you're a jerk to me, I'll return the favor, and replied with the classic, Oh, you mad bro? The guy doesn't acknowledge what I say. Instead, he starts raging on me and saying how he's going to do terrible things to my entire family. Some of the things he said sort of shocked me, but I was just like, Bro, take a chill pill. No, I don't want- And then he stopped. I noticed why. ADVA on our team had just killed his bastion hero again. Now this is where things get scary. It sounded as if he turned into a rabid animal that was trying to suffocate itself in the mic, screaming, howling and spitting. It's difficult to describe exactly what sound he was making, Inhumane noises were coming from the other end of the mic, as if he were being gutted and possessed by a demon at the same time. It was a grown man, which made the entire thing scary compared to laughing my butt off when a 12 year old loses it. The match ended, the enemy team didn't even get payload moving, and the man loses his mind. I decided to be an ass again and not take this guy's crap. Look, it's not my fault you're not good at the game. You're just being treated like a child, 
Grow up, man. The Spanish guy didn't like this. He screamed down the microphone for 20 seconds. It started getting all crackly. He then removed me from the party. And since the match was over, I called it a night. My overall reaction to what went down was, well, that was something. I logged out, turned off my Xbox and went to bed. As soon as my head hit the pillow, I realized how much of a dumbass I was for not recording it for my friends. They would have lost it when they heard it. Then I fell asleep. Saturday went by with nothing. And I thought that was that with the angry Spaniard. The next day I logged into my Xbox to play more Overwatch and noticed I had a message from the guy. Good morning. Good morning, Johnny. I know you have to go to the movie theater down in Ashford tomorrow. What the hell? I said out loud. I decided to pull out my phone and take a picture of the TV screen. I then texted my boss about it and told her that some guy on Xbox somehow found out where I worked. Now my boss is a mean old lady. So she naturally didn't care about what happened on Xbox, even though it concerned my work. She just blew it off and told me I still had to come into work the next day. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and The Incredibles 2 were both hot then, and it was going to be busy. I ended up coming in next day at 5.30. It was pretty boring and busy like I predicted. Up until around 8, when a super short guy came in through the door. It was loud and crowded, but the guy hollered my full name. Some thick Spanish accent. The same one from Xbox. It was him. I still to this day don't know where he got my info from or why he decided to come all the way out to where I worked. The theater fell silent. I just walked to the back room where my boss was and told her that the guy from Xbox was inside. She repeated, I don't care what happens to your next box, get to work, we're busy. I repeated to her that the guy was inside the building. I didn't know if he wanted to hurt me or not, and that I was going to call the cops. I called them, and it wasn't until they arrived and spoke to me privately in the back room that my boss ended up taking me seriously. The Spanish guy was still inside the lobby, and the cops put him in cuffs and walked him out. This is according to my boss, as I was in the back room and couldn't witness it. I still haven't heard anything from them, and I still don't know how he found my information or why he came all the way to where I worked, and I still don't know what he planned to do to me. Either way, I'm still a bit shaken up over it. I don't know if he knows my home address or not, and I'm pretty much on guard 24-7. Either way, I own two dogs that can scare anyone off, but I'm still pretty terrified of this guy. I contacted my police department a little later and heard they had taken the guy on Monday, so I have the satisfaction knowing that he didn't get away. They're still being stingy on the info and won't even tell me his name because of all the security garbage. I'm waiting for a full report on this guy. They promised they would give me one soon. I don't know how long it's gonna be but I'm just gonna try and not focus on that guy for now. So insane, pissed off guy from Xbox Live that stalks teenagers and visits them? I hope I never have to meet you again. I was 14 at the time, 
and had spent the night at my best friend's house, who was a year younger than me. We were pretty responsible, well-behaved kids, so we were trusted to be left home alone at times. That morning, it was just three girls in the house, me, my friend, and her older sister, who was actually just about to leave for work. Parents were at work too. It was around 10 to 1 a.m., and I was laying in her bed, half awake, trying to fall back asleep. I'm a massively light sleeper, and her sister would always be the loudest in the morning when she got ready. And although me and her older sister, low-key, weren't that fond of each other, I never said anything. My friend Gabby, and her sister Cheyenne. I could hear Cheyenne making her way out the front door. Gabby behind her to close and lock it after her. I heard Cheyenne say something along the lines of, make sure everything is locked, and how there's a weird man across the street sitting on the curb facing the house. She leaves. I got up because going back to sleep was not an option. I have had sleep issues for as long as I can remember. So I was sitting on her bed with pancakes, and we were just chilling eating our breakfast. This was about 10 minutes after Cheyenne had left. So me and Gabby were just chilling and talking, and I brought up how our sister said something about a guy across the street. And I said something along the lines of, your sister is so dramatic. I kid you not, there's knocking right on the door after I said that. Me and Gabby sat there looking at each other in silence. Her bedroom was located at the front of the home, so windows faced the street. I peeped through, but I didn't see a guy across the street. I creeped to the front door and I made a tiny peek to see who it was because her front door had this big old window with some shades. I didn't want whoever was there to see me. Long and behold, it was him, the guy Cheyenne warned us about. I knew because Gabby silently freaked out and was like, it's him. We ran to the bathroom and called her sister. Gabby's house never really got visitors. I know this because I was always there. So there we are locked in the bathroom flipping out. Gabby said something like, he's seen me after Cheyenne left. He knows I'm home alone. I was beyond scared like, what if he somehow finds his way inside? We just knew he didn't have good intentions. So obviously, now he knows there's a young girl in the house by herself. So her sister was on the freeway and wasn't able to return. So she told us to call their uncle who lives nearby. Her uncle Mike rode a motorbike, who was really nice and tough looking. Me and Gabby are like sisters almost. So while we're waiting for uncle Mike to show up, the stranger starts to frantically ring the doorbell. It got quiet for a little bit. And then he started to knock on the door really slowly. It was the creepiest thing ever. All her dogs outside are barking like crazy. Then before we know it, I heard her uncle's bike pull up. In relief, we left ourselves out the bathroom and run outside. So us two little girls thank God that he made it quickly. The story isn't over though. When her uncle pulled up, he pointed him out. Is that him down there? Gabby lived across the street from an elementary school, which was only a few houses down. The dude was standing in front of it facing us watching us. Whoever that weirdo was, I'm just glad I never saw him again. This happened about 12 years ago. I was somewhere between 10 and 12 years old. 
The house my family lived in at the time was a block away from a canyon that runs through my town. The canyon is pretty much all lava rock, as we are near a lot of mountains. This canyon has a paved walking trail going from end to end, as well as a dog park, a skate park, tennis courts and softball fields, and some playgrounds here and there in the more populated areas in the center and south of the canyon. Not an uncommon place for people to spend time. Our house was at the north end of the canyon, where those populated locations are sparse, and it's mostly just the walking paths and a water treatment plant. This canyon is also pretty heavily wooded in the area we were near. That all being said, my friends and my siblings and I, all girls, used to go down there all the time in the summer, specifically to this one spot we called the roller coaster. Basically, it was a section of a small dirt walking path opposite to the side of the canyon that the paved walking path was on, that dipped up and down kind of like a halfpipe. We liked to run up and down it and see how much speed we could gain. So, we're there one summer's day, running up and down and back and forth, timing each other to see how fast we could run and back up to the other side. When my turn comes up, my friend counts down, and I take off down the hill. When I get to the bottom, right before I start to run up to the other side of the half-pipe shaped dip in the path, I hear a loud thump on the dirt behind me, and I feel the ground shake under my feet a little. I stop dead in my tracks, and turn around to see what it was. It was a rock or boulder about the size of a basketball. Freaked out that this thing almost landed on me, I scan up the canyon wall to see where it came from, only to have my eyes land on two men sitting in the rocks on the canyon wall about 50 feet up. One is looking down at me, smiling. His smile is something I can picture to this day. It was so sinister. He had clearly just thrown this giant rock down at me, and he'd clearly been watching us run back and forth waiting for his opportunity. I decided to finish out the roller coaster as to not scare my friends and little sister. When I get back, they start teasing me about how long it took me to return since I stopped mid-run. They asked where the rock came from, and I said it must have fallen from the canyon wall, and that we should go because more might fall, and it probably isn't safe. My friends and sister are bummed, but agree, and I somehow convinced them we should run home. I wanted to get out of there, and I'm secretly terrified these men will follow us. When we get home, I don't say anything to my parents, as I'm afraid I'll get in trouble. I never go back to that spot, and made up excuses when my friends and siblings suggested it. I'll never forget that man's smile. I never understand why he would do what he did, but I still get freaked out about what would have happened if I'd have taken off down the hill a second later or if they had followed us after I spotted them. So to the man, who was throwing basketball-sized chunks of lava rock, let's not meet again. Last month, I moved to another country, where I didn't know nearly anyone. Due to that, I spent a lot of time alone and got bored. Although I didn't and don't like the concept of Tinder, I decided to create an account to meet people, and spent hours swiping left and right, and having brief conversations with my matches. 
However, most of them were men that wanted to see me on that same day, which scared me a bit. Our story begins when I matched with a 30 year old girl who didn't wait too long to send me a hi, nor ask me for a phone number. I, who have never used the app before, thought it was normal and gave my phone number to her without having spoken at all. That was my first mistake. At first, everything seemed normal. The girl was called Diana and sent me voice notes. We spoke briefly and in a superficial way about ourselves. She seemed very interested in talking to me since on several occasions, she would double text me when I didn't answer quickly. And I'm not gonna lie, I found that curious. However, I paid it no mind. The second day of speaking to her, she asked me to meet her somewhere. And even though our conversations had been very superficial, I agreed and we set a place in an hour. But before we met, I regretted it. I deleted Tinder, messaged her an apology, and that was where things got weird. She let me know it was fine, but a few minutes later sent me several messages and deleted them within a second so I couldn't read them. A few hours later, she tried video calling me. I didn't answer and told her I was busy. In despite to that, she called me again and again, and I kept saying I was busy, but she didn't stop until about 2 a.m. By that time, she was either drunk and I blocked her. She called me twice at 2 a.m. By that time, I was out and drunk and blocked her. I felt a little bad about it, but come on, I'm a woman in her early 20s living in a foreign country. So at the same time, I felt relief that it was over, except that it wasn't. I wake up to a hello from an unknown number, which profile picture in WhatsApp was one of an old man. I asked him who he was, and in less than a minute received a reply saying it's Diana, that it's her dad's number. Why did I block her and if I annoyed her? In spite of how bizarre that was, I tried to emphasize with her and answered with truth. And she told me it was fine and I blocked her dad's number. In less than two hours, I got another message from another unknown number. It was Diana again asking why I kept blocking her and that she needed to talk to me. At this point, it was no longer funny. I told her I'm not interested in talking to her and she literally says, I need to tell you something. There's a girl who's harassing me. She does black magic. I repeated that I'm not interested and she goes on like, you don't believe me, don't you? And I block her again for a third time. I don't really know if this was some kind of strange joke, but I think I can say that my first experience using Tinder was tragic. I wonder if it's always this way, though I've never really thought about downloading it again. At least I know that next time I shouldn't share my phone number with someone I haven't spoken to. Let's hope for the best. I never meet you, Diana. This happened a few months ago. I had just gotten Red Dead Redemption. And while I was playing online, I met this awesome guy named Rick. He's in his 50s, a retired firefighter, and we played together a while helping me level up so that people wouldn't target a low level player who is also a girl. After a while, he introduces me to this guy named Black Wolf Angel or something like that. He seemed pretty cool at first, this new guy. We would hang out on RDR, shoot lots of bandits and do gang hideouts. After a while, we became somewhat good friends. 
and he then started to lightly flirt with me every once in a while. I let it slide, being the kind person I am, and I made it my goal to not get a so-called Xbox boyfriend, so I tended to avoid flirting on there. We would normally hang in parties or with Rick, but one time he invited me to a party and I'm like, oh okay, he and Rick wanna play, but I was dead wrong. He began to flirt super heavily with me, and I acted like I had to go and I left. For weeks he would spam me with party invites and messages saying, hey sexy, I really want you. It finally got to the point where I was sick of him. So when he invited me the last time, I answered and he started with the usual flirting. And I just said, look man, I'm not interested in any kind of relationship right now. So please lay it off. He agreed and stopped for a few days. But then he broke the silence by sending me a message saying, I'm thinking of ending it all because of you. I flipped out on him and started to cuss him out and tell him to never contact me again. I told Rick about it all, and he told me he stopped talking to him a few days ago for the same reason. So for a while, everything was cool. But then I started to get phone calls and text messages saying the same stuff he used to say. I answered one said call and told him to leave me alone or I'll get the police. Thankfully, he stopped after that. So to the guy from Xbox Live, Let's never meet again, you creep. Back in 2006, when I was 17, I met this girl called Cindy through mutual friends. We became really good friends and hung out often over the next few years. As the years went by, she started hanging out with the wrong crowd and acting gangster. By 2009, I had my own car and the only time Cindy would call me to hang out is if I did her a favor first, which was a ride somewhere. Eventually I got tired of this and any time I would call her, she usually wouldn't answer. I got fed up and stopped being her friend. In 2011, after a while of not seeing each other, I forgot who contacted who, but we got together to hang out. As usual, she needs a favor first, I ride over to the next city to visit a friend. Forgetting all the times this happened in the past, I said yes, and this led to one of the most terrifying moments of my life. After picking her up at her house, she tells me last moment that a female friend is coming with us too. Me being an idiot, I pick her up too, and I'm all happy that I'm hanging out with two girls. We get on the highway, and despite asking numerous times where we were going, and what we were doing, she wouldn't give me a straight answer. But I drive on as I'm happy to be hanging out with two girls. A while later, we reach our destination. And it's a correctional facility. She came to visit a male friend, who we'll just call suspect. After sitting alone in a lobby and questioning my life choices, they come back and we leave. I was pretty quiet on the drive home, and they didn't even ask me what was wrong. They happily chatted and left me out of the conversation. I dropped them both off and went home. A few days later, Cindy calls me and asks me to hang out again, telling me it will just be her this time. I say yes, and we set up a meeting for the following day. Then something important came up, and I called Cindy to let her know that I wouldn't be able to see her then. She didn't like this. 
got angry and hung up. A few hours later when I was home, she messages me and tells me not to blame her if guys come looking for me. A short while later, I get a call from the correctional facility and being stupid, I answer it. A gangster sounding guy addresses me by name, insults me a bit, tells me that I'm about to get lit up. Cindy then messages me saying that there are guys in my neighborhood looking for me. And this is terrifying because I was out in front of my house working on my car. I try calling her and she doesn't answer. She texts me again, letting me know they're close. And I immediately try to call her again to no reply. She texts me and says the only way she can stop them is to pick her up and drive her to the correctional facility. Being terrified and fearing for my life, I oblige. This time she brings another female friend, Melanie, who I know, and we head over to the correctional facility as they blare their music in my car and act like nothing happened. After they visit the inmate, they proceed to drink in my car, despite me telling them not to. They blare out more of their music and eventually spill an entire bag of chips and crush it into the carpet. I ask them to clean it up as they're getting out of the car, but they just walk away without a word. I dump all the garbage and chips out my car onto the street in front of her house and find my iPod on the floor, oily and mixed in with everything. Feeling terrified and disrespected, I block Cindy and her friend's number so they can never contact me again. Later on through mutual friends, I learned that Cindy and Melanie gave the suspect my name and address and set up the whole thing. I am a 25 year old woman who currently lives in England. I live in a countryside setting and around two hours away from the heart of Cambridgeshire. I live on the end house of a row of houses with my two older siblings and parents. I have mousy brown hair, blue eyes and five foot five and currently weigh 140 pounds. So I'm not the skinniest of girls. I've been told by many people that I look at youngest 17 to 18. This detail will be important later in the story. So here we go. I'm going to start by saying this is where it all started back in June of 2019. The past few weeks had been very good weather. And my mum told me previously that she had planned for our relatives to come around for a barbecue. This included my auntie, uncle and cousin with their kids and other halves. So yeah, it was a big get together. So I had started to plan to make the garden look a bit better as we will have a barbecue outside. So that meant painting, weeding, planting and flowers. I have to do all this back to back work in the evening as I work very early to midday and I'm usually back around three o'clock. But it was summer and the sun was out till late. So it wasn't much of an issue. Now, as I previously mentioned, we were at the end house and our next door neighbor who owns her house. We do not. She rents her room out to tenants, which their window looks out into our garden. So in June, every other day, me and my family, once we had finished work, would notice a man he'd be looking out of the window that is located nearest to the garden fence. He would be staring down at us. We are the kind of family 
that don't give it too much thought, so ignored him, thinking maybe he was a new tenant that had moved in, just getting used to his new surroundings. But for a few days, I would notice that when I came home and started gardening, he would stare at me from his window, therefore making me slightly uncomfortable. But I still tried to not let it get to me. And maybe I was being over paranoid. A few days pass of him just staring at me. Until one day I was coming in through the front door. And he was also outside and went, Hi, my name's Dave. The nosy neighbor at the window. I awkwardly nodded my head and replied, Hi, Dave, I'm Charlotte. I completely felt sick to my stomach when he smirked and looked at me from top to bottom. I let out a cough in nervousness and then splutter out. I have to go to dinner. Bye. Before he can reply, I rush into the house, feeling very shaky. I again just shake this feeling off and carry on with my day. And that is until the evening when I let my dog out into the back garden. and realizing he is leaning out of the window. I ignore him by turning my back in that direction, silently praying that he will not talk to me. That's when he pipes up going, Hey, Charlotte, I let out a sigh cursing my inability to be rude. You see, I'm the type of person who does not like confrontation. I have a lot of patience and just don't like to be rude. Hi, I reply awkwardly. He smiles again and I feel my stomach eat itself. So would you go on a date with me? I stand there completely frozen. Dave is 60, at least, bald head, tattoos on his arms. I also put in here that when he is always out the window, he never wears a shirt. He has sunken eyes and is extremely skinny. I looked at him uncomfortably and shake my head. Look, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. He gives me a smirk before going, not even for a meal. He pushes. I shake my head. Look, sorry, I'm not interested. I say politely. Not even for a drink, he says. I grip my teeth. I'm standing there thinking what the hell is wrong with this dude? Can't he take a hint? I again reiterate I'm not interested and turn away hoping to cut his conversation short. Am I making you uncomfortable? Can I say hi? I spin my head and give him a, are you kidding me? Look, and narrow my eyes. You can say hi. But if you keep asking me out, then yes, it's going to make me feel uncomfortable. I turn away from him. And this is when he continually calls my name. I just ignore him, hoping he'll get the hint and go. But this is where I hear someone to tell him to get down from the window. I will also make everyone aware that my neighbor who owns the house was currently in surgery and she's elderly. So I don't blame her for all the events following as I don't think she could have helped in any way either. A few days passed and it was now July. Every single day that I'm outside doing the garden, which was around two hours each, he is always staring out the window at me or he is lurking just behind the curtain. So he thinks I can't see him. I start to dread going outside every day and begin to feel trapped. This is when I tell my family and my mum and dad decide to have a chat with him. So my mom is like all mama bear going next door 
and she's the kind of person that is scary because she's calm. So yeah, you don't want to mess with her. They come back and tell me that he has said he is so sorry. I didn't mean to make me uncomfortable. And he won't do it again. Basically saying all this stuff they know they want to hear. But for the next few days, it doesn't stop. He is again still at the window staring at me. And it's gotten so bad that when I tap on my living room window, my sister knows that he's there and for her to come out. This is the time when he also puts up some blinds and I can't tell if he's looking through the blinds at me. I also start to experience trouble with sleeping and panic attacks as the situation is stressing me out so bad. The next incident that happens was again, all the family got home from work at the same time. And we started to put the cars in the garden. We have our own driveway in our back garden as the garden is huge. I was absolutely dying to go to the toilet. So mom seeing this gave me the front door key. I ran around the front door about to put the key in the front door. When I heard that next door's door had opened. I look up and see Dave smirking at me. My heart just about stopped and I felt an overwhelming feeling to run away. Seconds later, my brother was by my side. Instead of going into the front door, we ran back to the back garden to go in the back way. Unknown to me at the time, my mum had seen Dave jump down from the window when he saw that I was going to the front door. My mum then shouted for my brother to follow. Within the next few weeks, the evening stayed the same with me gardening and him staring. My sibling would often come out with me, but he would disappear and reappear if they went indoors. Another day of me gardening. And my brother was outside in the garden as well, as was the creep staring out of the window. My legs started shaking, and I honestly thought that they would collapse underneath me. My nerves felt like they were eating me alive. And I felt like I was on the brink of another panic attack. Bro, I'm gonna go start the front garden. He nodded replying he would come with me to keep me company. Once we started doing the front garden, Dave came out with a handful of rubbish four times while looking at me up and down. I thought I was gonna break down crying. I'm standing there just screaming. Why won't he leave me alone? I told him I'm not interested. Just leave me alone. I look away and concentrate at the leaves and putting in bags. Dave then proceeds to walk out, slam the door in the opposite direction and down the street. The way our houses are set up is that it's basically like a small estate. So you can do a lap around the houses and you will walk past our house. I'm cleaning the leaves and mentally in my head, I'm thinking he's going to pass the block and walk past us. And lo and behold, 10 minutes later, he walks straight past our gate and goes, how you two doing? I ignore his attempts at talking as I feel my blood rush into my ears and my heart would not stop pumping. I look at my brother and he gives me a concerned look. The next day, I'm sitting in the garden and I get a picture of him looking out the window staring at me. This was for future evidence for the police. After a few days of him lurking at his windows, I'd had enough 
and called the non-emergency police line. They said they would be out that evening, Saturday around 8, and two officers came and I explained the whole situation. I won't bore you with the details, but I broke down crying and all they said was it was suspicious him looking out the window, but there wasn't a lot they could do. They said they would look into it, but I never heard back from them. There I was sitting like a prisoner in my own home. I couldn't even go into my own garden without feeling uncomfortable because I knew he would be lurking there. A few more days carried on with the same routine, but this time I only went out for around 20 minutes because I was just too scared to go into my own garden. My panic attacks had started to worsen and I was having one nearly every day. I was getting sleep paralysis and I would see him standing at the end of my bed. I was having mood swings where one day I would be feeling all right and then an hour later be in tears because I couldn't cope with the constant paranoia. Even when I did laugh and smile, it was fake because the stress was overwhelming and I couldn't be myself. Even the shakes I had were uncontrollable. Then the following Friday, it was pouring down with rain and I was finishing the last bits as the barbecue was two weeks away. And again, I was outside but this time I had to plant a sunflower below his window. I felt his eyes piercing through the back of my head. I started to uncontrollably shake and my heart was pounding in my ears. I couldn't take it anymore. Could he just leave me alone? I knocked on the window to get my sister to come out and she started to help me. I heard him cough above us and I snapped. My previous being polite attitude went out the window I met his eyes. Would you stop looking at me? I yelled. He had a split second of shock on his face before he came back to his senses and frowned. I could look out my window if I want. I gritted my teeth. The nerve of him. Yes, but you always are staring at me. Just leave me alone. I have the right to look out the window. I don't care. I can and I will. I saw my sister's face turn sour. You're looking at her whenever she goes. You don't stop gawking. I hear the anger in her voice, but I'm more concentrated on trying to calm myself down. Piss off, he yells, disappearing from sight. I grip my teeth, trying to push the tears down. What is his problem? A minute later, he returns to the window and says loudly, I've had a look on Google. It says here I have the right to look out my windows. I know my rights. We both reply, mm-hmm, but he's staring at me, which is making me even more uncomfortable, and I've already told him to stop. He then proceeds to tell my sister to piss off, as well as a few other things. This is when I yell at him, excuse me, what did you just say? This argument proceeds with my family coming out and my mother telling him to get down or she will call the police as he is harassing us. And he tells her to piss off, as well as a few other horrible things that I don't want to repeat. You know, very colorful language. She says she'll call the police and we all run inside. This argument was a bit longer, but I cannot remember all of the details as it was just a few months ago and everyone was yelling in the heat of the moment. We do just that, and the local police said they'd be around next day, Saturday. The next day around three o'clock, the police come, 
and they seemed to take it a bit more seriously. I said I had previously reported it, and big surprise the other police officers had not put it on record. The police officer Jenny told me to explain everything. I did, and when she asked me the question, what would you like to happen? I couldn't hold it in and broke down. I just said, I want him to stop. I don't know how to make it stop. I couldn't handle the stress anymore. After a long discussion, she said she was going to look into it. And I nodded, not really expecting much. But the next day, she called me and asked if I would be willing to write a statement, which I did. The next day was Monday. And this was when I wrote my statement. And when I was told he was a registered offender, he would be arrested the following morning for stalking and harassment. I was so relieved. But I did not know that this was going on for a few more months. The following day, they arrested him at 8am. I felt a little lighthearted, and I saw them break down the door and drag him away in cuffs in the police car. That evening, I also learned his full name, which I looked up. I went on to do research and found out he spent 10 years in prison for grooming a 13 year old. This brings me to the last five months. I was told I was being summoned to court in October. The arrest happened in August. So a few months of worrying slash paranoia, although he was out on bail, but was not allowed in my village or anywhere near me. When October rolled around, I was a bundle of nerves. So I'm sitting in the waiting area of witnesses. Everything's a blur, and I just want all of this to be over. The prosecutor then comes into the room with a crestfallen look on his face and sadly tells me that my case has been adjourned and the case will have to be booked. I again break down and can't believe my luck. He's walking the streets and he could be terrorizing another young girl. I'm then told the next court date will be February. And this brings me to the past two weeks. I get to court again. This time, I don't really feel like being a witness, but I know it's better for my case if I do. They usually start around nine, but are late. So they say it will start at 10. 10 rolls around, then 10.30, then 11, then 11.15. I'm starting to get worried again. What if it's adjourned again? I won't be able to have the guts to come next time. I see the prosecutor come in and I hold my breath. He smiles, he pleaded guilty. I let out a squeal and a half sob. It's all over. This is when he tells me more that I was not aware of. Two months before he moved into the house next door, he assaulted three girls underage. And every year before that, he has done something similar. I'm gobsmacked. Why the hell is he still on the streets? He then tells me, Charlotte, earlier I asked you how old you were. It's because you look very young for your age and the way he was approaching you is similar to the way he approached the other girls. I stare at him, but nod my head silently. I didn't realize how close to danger I had become. It's so frightening. I've just found out he got sentenced to eight months, not as much as I would have liked to considering the nightmare he put me through and those poor other girls. Though he's got two years probation, community service and unpaid work. I also have a restraining order, which I'm very pleased about. So yeah, I'm wanted to share this for ages. Everyone out there be safe and always trust your gut.
If you feel unsafe, always tell someone, even if you feel silly about it. And to Dave, who put me through seven months of hell, you most likely ruined those poor girls' lives. I hope you rot in hell. This happened to me my freshman year of college. Tinder was new, and everyone at my university was on the app. I joined to see what all the fuss was about. Looking through profiles, I found a few guys that were really interesting. And this one guy in particular caught my eye, Walter. I swiped right on Walter, and we matched. I was excited and kind of giddy because he was super attractive. He messaged me and I got butterflies in my stomach. We messaged on the app for maybe an hour. Typical conversation is happening. And I asked him what he did for a living. He asked what my major was, harmless conversation. After a while, he asked for my number so we could text each other instead of message on the app. I gave it to him and he seemed nice enough. We messaged back and forth for a few days, lots of flirty conversation and plans to hang out finally occurred. By the fourth day of conversation, he started calling me babe, which gave me mixed feelings. It was cute, but also a little weird. We didn't really know each other and had never met. I ignored it and continued on with the conversation. He started saying he wanted to be exclusive and he really wanted to see me in person. He was begging me at this point to come to his apartment to cuddle and watch movies with him and his dog. I told him that we would need to meet in public first. I would not be going to some stranger's apartment. And he said I was overreacting and kept begging. I ignored him for the rest of the night. The next day, he apologized and said he misunderstood. We needed to meet in public. So we made plans for that weekend. The weekend came faster than expected. And it was the day we were supposed to meet. Something just felt off and I decided to back out. I texted him apologizing, saying my mum wasn't feeling well and I needed to go home to help her with some housing chores. This made him annoyed. And he said, your mum is a big girl. If she needs, she can call you. Just come over and you can leave whenever you go help. I really want to see you and kiss you. I told him no, that I would be staying with my mum that weekend and that was that. I only lived half hour away from home. So I actually did go home and see my mum that day. And after what he texted me about my mum, I began ignoring him. And the texts started rolling in. Text after text. Babe, I'm sorry. Babe, come over. Babe, I miss you. Are you going to come over? I planned on replying the next day that I was busy with my mum. Then he began calling me. I had a total of 45 missed phone calls within a two-hour period. He left voicemails saying he was sorry and he just missed me and wanted me to call him back. Similar voicemails continued almost the entire time I was home. My roommate texted me shortly after I finished dinner with my mum and asked if we could go out that night. I agreed and went back to my university dorm. Suddenly the calls from Walter started to increase again. More texts, voicemails, and he started messaging me again on Tinder asking why I wasn't replying to him. I wasn't planning on replying until I got a message on Instagram that said, why didn't you tell me you were coming back to town tonight? Getting this message really freaked me out. I replied to him saying I was sorry that I'd been busy with my mum. 
how did you know I was back in town? He said, I checked your Tinder, of course. Tinder doesn't tell exact locations, but it has a within one mile message. This really freaked me out. And I began messaging him back and said that he was being really creepy. He seriously had to be constantly refreshing my profile to see the distance change. The messages, calls and voicemails continued. All were him now apologizing for making me feel weird about him knowing where I was. He was just worried about me. We had been texting for less than a week, less than a week. And I told my roommate about it. And we decided to stay in that night. The last straw for me was getting a message saying, Look, I'm sorry, I'm outside your dorm with flowers and chocolate. Please forgive me. Ah, oh, hell no. I called campus security and told them about this guy. And they never found anyone waiting outside any of the doors. I assumed he was in his car waiting for me to reply. I blocked him on all socials, phone number, deleted Tinder and have never been back on since. I've seen him once out and about the town, but he never recognized me thankfully. Walter, if you ever hear this, I'm glad we never met. Thank you for making me second guess every single attractive guy I find. When Pokemon Go first came out, I couldn't keep up with my then girlfriend, now wife, at all. I'd spend hours walking around town, and somehow she'd always managed to outlevel me. So the only way I figured I'd get ahead would be to sacrifice my precious sleep and traverse and rough the tumbled streets of downtown Salt Lake City until the wee hours of the morning. And with that, my journey to become a true Pokemon master began. I started staying out until one or two in the morning, five nights a week, since my work didn't start till around 10. And I felt I had enough time to recoup. And it worked great. Not only did I get ahead of her, but I developed a massive lead, made some friends and even dropped about 12 pounds as well. Was working great, mostly. For anyone who doesn't know Salt Lake City, it has a pretty big problem with homeless people. A good number of them strung out on drugs or violently mentally ill. This isn't stereotyping, it's just a pretty well documented fact, both statistically and from my own experience. It's gotten somewhat better since the state stepped in to clean up downtown. But at the same time, they were filtering up into the nicer areas of the city at night and setting up camp or accosting people playing alone. As a result, I brought several knives which I would carry on me, one in my bag, and one where most people hold a wallet, one in my pocket, and yet another on my belt loop. I know it might have been overkill, but I wanted to be prepared for any situation. After all, I didn't need to win a fight, I just needed to make going after me not worth their time. And after getting sized up by a rather surly looking group, when I had stopped to use a public bathroom by the state capital, I decided it would be better to stock up than to be undergeared. Thankfully, I've never had to do anything with them. But I have had to brandish it on more than one occasion. One night I'm walking back from the hill leading up to the capital, when I see a guy on the same sidewalk a ways off heading in the opposite direction. At first glance, he seems harmless, 
but then I see him start twitching his shoulders uncontrollably and realize he's probably tweaking right now. As he approaches, I can hear him talking to himself, nothing intelligible, but I think I at least heard him say something about kangaroos are controlled by Interpol. I'd been focusing on listening to him and hadn't noticed that he'd realized I was there. He began to walk towards me with that sort of purposeful stride that you have when homing in on someone. He was still probably half a block away and I needed to cross anyway. So I figured that were a good time as any to part company. As soon as I'd stepped away and put my feet into the road, he follows suit and picks up the pace, making a beeline right for me. I unfasten it from my belt loop and palm it just in case. He's still shambling towards me, and I realize I've got one last chance to get out of this without conflict. When he's no more than 10 feet away, I flick it out, casually brandishing it to my side, and there's just enough light on me to make out that I'm armed. The guy stops in his tracks and just walks back to his side of the road as I continue my walk to the throng of people gathered at a small park with four stops all lured up in the hope for a Dragonite spawn. Sadly, that sort of dedication following such a creepy encounter didn't endear me to the gods of Pokemon Go enough to grant me one that entire summer. I freely admit that I could have been completely wrong about his intentions, but I wasn't willing to take the risk. Thankfully, I've never had another run-in like that again, even on subsequent nights when I went out binge playing until the deep freeze of winter arrived. I've had some really weird encounters with homeless people, including an overly aggressive panhandler who tried to come inside my apartment, and someone who thought walking in front of my car at a green light to keep me from going so he could beg for a ride to court, and I'm not joking with this, was good but nothing where I actually felt my life was in danger like that night. In fact, my back crap insane stalker X scared me more than the homeless do. However, that's an entirely different story for another day. So, crazy guy, let's not meet again. My cousin was a drummer in the 60s. He toured the world for many years. When he retired, he brought his own tour bus and drove bands all over the USA. When bands were in the area, the stars stayed in a hotel, but the band would stay with me. This was when bands toured an area for four or five days. I was 16 and a good cook and a great baker thanks to my grandma. When the bands would arrive, I would have a layout of my speciality three-day lasagna, bean dip and chips, hamburger pie, my famous peanut butter fudge and peanut butter cookies, and a lot more. Enough to feed an army, my mother would always say. When my favorite band would arrive, we would go hang out with a band and my cousin at the venue, and sometimes watch the show. This one time we were hanging out with the band in front of the club they were playing at. The star stayed at the back of the bus. My mother, father, sister, and cousin were talking near the back of the bus. The band members and I were hanging out near the front of the bus out of sight of my parents, and I was sitting on the hood of our car with my legs crossed, wearing a casual skirt or halter top. The five band members were near me. 
with only one, my crush, next to me about 10 feet away. He was smoking and I really didn't want to breathe that stuff in. Some man was kind of drunk, walked over to where I was sitting. The guys thought I knew him, but I certainly didn't, and pushed me back onto the hood of the car, pulled my skirt up, and was trying to pull my halter top off. He was so fast, he was like an octopus. In no time, the five band members had him on the ground while my crush adjusted my clothes and held me in his arms while I stood sobbing. My parents, my sister and my cousin came running when they heard the commotion and saw me sobbing in my crush's arms and the drunk man on the ground. The police were called and arrived in three minutes and I had to tell them everything the man did, which left me sobbing more. He was taken to jail and I don't know what happened to him, but the fact that these band members jumped into action to defend my honor was appreciated very much. They came out a few more times and said they would take me on the road with them when I turned 18. The week before my 18th birthday, my cousin passed away from a sudden heart attack from all the drugs he used in the 60s with his own band. I was beyond crushed and spent a week in my room crying. So many of the guys I met called to say how sorry they were. A few of the stars also took the time to call and even my crush called several times. So to all the band members who were wonderful to me and my family, Thank you to the drunk guy who tried to assault and do something worse to a 16 year old girl. Let's never meet again. I was 15 at the time. I took about 10 of my little cousins with me to the park. Three of my older cousins, but still younger than me or the same age came with me to help. As I approached the park, there was a man and two kids there. He came up to me and started talking to me. I tried to give him the hint that I didn't want to talk to him, but he kept on going. I asked him, oh, did you bring your kids? He nodded and kept talking, then asked me weird questions like, are you married? Are these your kids? How old are you? I lied about my name and age and tried to walk away. Then he said, I want you to sit and talk to me. I said I had something important to tell my family first, and then I joined him. I smiled and went up to one of my older cousins and said, pretend everything is fine, but we need to leave now. She nodded and I watched the two kids leave without the man. So we started walking home again and I made sure he didn't follow or watch where we went. I later found out that he had picked up one of my little cousins and put him back down again. And one of my cousins saw, but she froze and didn't say anything to me. Luckily, one of us saw him walk into a house and so we called the police. They went into the house and found him. They couldn't charge him for anything, but told us that they've received complaints about him before. Something I left out was that I've seen him at the park before. I would go there with my boyfriend to hang out, and one time he was there just staring at me. He didn't approach or say anything to us. I'm assuming it was because my boyfriend was with me. In September of 2018, I met this guy, Andrew, through a mutual friend on her birthday. Andrew had taken an interest in me immediately, but I was kind of clueless until several of my friends said so. He began texting me a lot, and we were eventually starting to hanging out on our own. A few weeks passed by, and we started dating. And that's when things get weird. 
Whenever I would hang out with my friends, he'd get passive aggressive about me not spending time with him instead. One weekend, I had seen him almost every day that week. And on Friday morning, we had plans to hang out as well. But I was feeling sick, so cancelled. Later that night, I had a Halloween party and was feeling better, so opted to go. He got annoyed at me, saying I never wanted to spend any time with him and whatnot. Other weird things were happening, but in the end, I told him I wanted to end things via text. He didn't take it well. He constantly would messaging me asking if we could meet up in person to talk, at the park, no less. And I kept saying I thought it would be best that we didn't. Then he asked my friends for my class schedule, as I was in a Julia college. They obviously didn't give it to him because they knew that he was weird and of everything that was going on. I had to skip one of my classes the next day to make my schedule for the next semester. And when I got home, my friend had told me he went to that same class. My friend didn't give him my schedule. He had went on the website where we make schedules, looked up the classes that he remembered me mentioning I was taking and went to that classroom to basically force me into talking to him. I've never been so grateful to a skip to class. Even after that, he still tried talking to me until I eventually blocked him on everything. You're a character, Andrew, but you scared me. So let's not meet again. I moved in with my dad around the age of 11. And to help keep in contact with my brother, my dad helped me create an Xbox Live account. I made plenty of friends on Halo 3, Left 4 and Dead 2, and Resident Evil 5. And I had an amazing group of people that I am still friends with to this day. The group I made were much older than me with a few exceptions. Some of their kids were also friends a part of this group, and one of them is actually a day older than me, so he and I became rather close. Overall, I made a lot of amazing memories with these people, but there was one problem. About a year or two into being involved with these people, a random person randomly rejoins the group. The person was a friend with one of them before, and the others were acquainted as well, but they barely knew them. I've never been great at making friends as I'm quite awkward and say a lot of weird things that makes people cringe in desperation, but I am nice and friendly. I added this mysterious person, but I was rather distant as they didn't have a mic. And this person was also pretending to be a woman. When Halo Reach came out, every single one of us was on that game. We practically dominated SWAT and this person would join in often. Communication was obviously limited because they lacked a mic, but it made it easier for them to pretend to be female. Now I do have a fairly deep voice myself, so a lot of people even now still think I'm a boy when I'm playing online. So my instant thought was that maybe this person was just self-conscious over how they sounded and just couldn't afford a mic perhaps. One morning, this person and I are both online. Everyone else was either still sleeping or at work, and it was a weekday. This person and I began messaging each other back and forth. It was pleasant conversation at first, which then turned dark. Mind you, this person was well aware that I was young and experienced in life. They began sending me sexually explicit messages, asking them to show me my 13 year old breasts. 
At that moment, I blocked the person. My buddy, who introduced me to the group and is well into his 30s, gets online and I tell him everything. It's obviously a little odd for such a young person to be friends with several people a few decades older than themselves, but they all treated me like a little sister. And this became evident when I told my friends what happened. He immediately got defensive and starts messaging the mysterious man that was no longer allowed to join our group, as what he did was disgusting. As everyone in our group began signing on and joining the conversation, we put the pieces together and realized that number one, this person was a creep, two, a liar, and three, a man. They lied about not having a mic and was caught with a mic at a few points during their time with the group. The person speaking was apparently male and then lied about it, saying that the person speaking was her brother. There was plenty of other proof people offered up but that one was one of the main ones I remember. I was a 26 year old small female and lived in Texas the time when this happened and still lived with my parents, but was working to try and afford an apartment. Almost every day I start the day by taking my Bichon Frisk dog, Molly, for a walk. She was an absolute love bug and wouldn't hurt a fly. My dad had adopted her for my 20th birthday. I started walking. Two blocks in there was a house with three men on the porch smoking and talking to each other. I see them almost every day when I walk. Two of them never paid any mind when I was walking past the house, except for one of them who I had never seen before. He was a bit big compared to the other two and looked to be in his 20s and was bald. I thought he was one of their friends. When I saw that he was staring in my direction, I quickly faced forwards. Growing up, I was a very antisocial person, so I wasn't the type to greet anyone who I walked past. But these guys didn't seem like the kind of people to say it to. As I kept on walking, I heard the bald man yell out, Hey gorgeous, nice puppy you got there. Come over here, let me pet him. I walked faster, but turned around to see him walking down the porch and down the sidewalk. Why are you walking so fast? He called again. I heard laughter from the other two men. At this moment, I began jogging with Molly. Halfway down the block, I turned my head to see him walking back to the house, but that didn't stop me from jogging back to mine. When I got home, I had the chance to tell my parents but stupidly didn't, thinking that it wasn't serious. The next morning, I had a bad feeling, so didn't go for the walk. But the day after I did, feeling a bit more scared, I secretly took my mum's pepper spray just in case. I began the walk. Being the dumbass I was, I walked past the same house, expecting not to see the man, but of all my luck, the man was there. He was sitting on a rocking chair on the porch, looking as if he were waiting for someone. When he saw me, he shot up as if his chair were on fire. My eyes widened as he started following me. Stop walking away, I just want to talk. In fear, I picked up Molly and bolted down the sidewalk, getting away from the man again. But to my horror, I looked to see that he was chasing after me, and I started to freak out. He was fast, too fast. The next thing I know, 
He's pushing me onto the ground, making me fall on my face onto the hard concrete, and dropping Molly who began whimpering and barking, knowing that something was terribly wrong. I began screaming for help. He rolled me over, covered my mouth, blocking my screams, clawing up his hands and struggling to get him off me, when I realized I had the pepper spray in my pocket. So I took the can out and sprayed him in his eyes. He screamed out in pain and rolled off me. I quickly got up and picked up Molly and sprinted home leaving the guy rolling on the ground in pain. I got home and of course frantically explained the situation to my parents. My dad, who is a retired Marine, wanted to go up to the house to confront the man, but my mum told me to go to the police station and file a report. I spoke to an officer and told him what happened. I showed him the bloody nose and cut on my forehead caused by falling face first. He said he would go over to the house and bring the man to the police station. I never got an update on that. A few months later, I avoided the block where the incident happened and wasn't bothered by anyone. The job I worked at was at a 7-Eleven open 24 hours. My friend who also worked there asked me to work the night shift because she needed to take care of her sick brother. I accepted and did what I had to do. After the night shift, I walked home. When I turned the corner, I noticed a pickup truck driving slowly and way too close to the sidewalk. I never paid any mind to it until it kept following me. Speeding up my pace, I walked through an empty alley hoping to lose the car, and finally it wasn't there. As I was walking up to my house, I looked behind me one more time to see the same pickup truck driving past. I got the chance to see two men in the truck, panicking and opening the door and slamming it shut. I told my dad what happened and he told my mum. She started going off on me about how if it was the same man, and he knows where I live now. I will admit I felt stupid for going straight home when I should have been looking out to see if the truck was following me. For two days, my dad was on the lookout in front of the house in case someone tried something, and nothing really happened until the next night. This night traumatized me, and guilt still consumes me to this day. It was about two in the morning when Molly, who was in bed with me, started barking at something at the window behind my bed. Being too tired, lazy and grumpy, I shrugged it off and tried going back to sleep. It wasn't until I woke to hear Molly yelping in pain. I opened my eyes and shot up in a panic and saw my dog's lifeless body in the floor, covered in blood with a dark figure standing over her. My heart stopped and tears filled in my eyes. I was ready to get off the bed and run, but then a heavy body was thrown on top of me. It was the same man, but he covered my mouth and I let out a scream hoping my parents would hear. Do you think you could pepper spray me and get away with it? I think not. My vision blurred after the man punched my eye. Stop fighting, this will be quick. I kept on kicking and hitting the man, but he didn't flinch. I heard him trying to get his belt off. Pure terror swept over my body. Then all of a sudden, I heard my door swing open with my dad and his gun in hand with mum behind. As soon as he saw the man, he shot him twice in the shoulder and once in his lower back. The man screamed in agony and I pushed him off me. 
My dad then ran up to the man, grabbed him by the collar, and started beating the crap out of him, showing no mercy. My mum ran up to me, hugging me, frantically asking if he hurt me. Ignoring what she was saying, I just ran up to Molly, who was still whimpering in pain, and I held her until she passed. My dad screamed at my mum to call the police and stopped beating the unconscious man, not caring that he had bullets in him. When he saw that he was a sliver away from death, he stayed with me and comforted me until about five minutes later when sirens were heard in the distance. My dad dragged the almost perished man outside to the police while paramedics came up to my room to see if I was okay. Turns out that not only the man was at the house, but his two other friends who were waiting two houses away in a van had a rope and a gag and a pack of tweezers for reasons I never want to know. When the man recovered from the beatdown my dad gave him, police took him into custody. He said the plan was to break in, take me, and go to the same house and do horrific things with me until they were done. The reason why the guy tried to go right into my bedroom was because he wanted me first. He stabbed my dog, my best friend. Not only that, but he tried to assault me in the worst way possible. The fact of that makes me want to throw up all over my screen. Every day I always thought what I could have done to avoid this whole thing from happening. Most of you think she was just a dog, but to me she wasn't. I never stopped thanking my parents for saving my life. And for the man, he got life in prison. I hope he rots for the rest of his life. His friends were also caught along with him and were sentenced to 16 years for multiple charges. I still live with my parents, not because of lack of money for an apartment, because of how paranoid and scared I became of being alone. As I'm writing this, I feel disgusted and guilty. This happened my junior year of high school. One of my best friends invited me to a Halloween party at her house with our school friends and some of her friends from her previous school. When I got there, I was wearing a poor iteration of Tom Cruise in Top Gun. My friend introduced me to this girl and we actually hit it off really well. She told me that my friend had told her a lot about me and that they knew each other through their parents' work. We started talking about our interests and were decently flirting with each other. Now I had gotten out of my first real relationship earlier that year, and I was not one to hop around from girl to girl. So being really flirty with someone on my first time meeting them was not something I was used to doing. At the end of the night, we were sitting in the ground floor of my friend's house, and we ended up kissing a little bit, which again, was moving really, really fast for me. We started texting after that, but I kind of had a weird feeling about her and couldn't really see myself being in a relationship with her. But prior to realizing that, we had made plans for a date with my friend who threw the party and her boyfriend. When the day of the date came, I had come down with an 101.7 degree fever and felt very, very out of it. I called her to explain that I was sick and was extremely sorry but I wouldn't be able to make the date. 
This was a solid three to four hours before we were supposed to meet, so I wasn't pulling out last minute. Her response kicked off most of the backward period of my high school life. She responded by saying, well, I wasn't gonna tell you this earlier, but I have brain cancer, so I don't have much time to go on dates. The strangest part was she asked me not to tell anyone about it. She stated that this was because her father didn't want to use her cancer as a way to work people over to get stuff, which I found odd. Now, a little backstory. I had a football coach who had passed away from cancer and my friend's mum, the friend who threw the party actually, also developed cancer around that time. So the topic of cancer was heavy on my heart and I felt incredible guilt. And being the emotionally charged person I am, I decided to go on the date. During the date, she started saying that she really appreciated me coming and the way that I treated her. This made me feel better knowing that I was helping. At a point near the end of the date, we were walking towards my car when she again brought up that she appreciated the way I treat her. She followed it up by explaining that she wasn't used to guys treating her right because she was assaulted when she was younger and actually had to terminate a forced pregnancy at the hand of a male relative of hers. My heart broke for her as she sounded like she had endured a lot of hardship on top of the fact that she was going to supposedly pass away next year. I was an emotional wreck following the date because it was a lot for me to take in, but I knew that if all of a sudden I stopped talking to her, I would never forgive myself. At this point, I had a small sense of suspicion of things that she had told me, especially the part about not telling anyone under any circumstances. That coupled with a few other things she said to me on our date, regarding what she wanted to do with her future, saying things like, I wanna try out this hairstyle when I get older. After she said these things, she seemed to tense up a bit, but I chalked it up to her coming to terms with the fact that she'd never be able to do them. My suspicions grew and grew, and eventually I decided to do some investigating. Her father was a doctor at the place where I went for doctor things and my personal doctor was a family friend of mine who knew her father well. I asked her if there was anything I could do to support or help her regarding her cancer. My doctor looked at me and said, what cancer? She doesn't have cancer. I immediately became filled with anger and texted her telling her what I had learned. A day before, she had called me to let me know that her diagnosis was a mistake, but her tone was very melodramatic and not at all what I would expect as a response to finding out you didn't have a mortal disease. She tried to cover her tracks and was asking me why I would question her and saying, I thought you cared about me. I was livid. I blocked her on everything and blocked her number. I also fall into a pretty deep depression for the next week or two because of how much I was yanked about by this girl and this interaction led me to have major trust issues with women, which I have still not gotten over. A few weeks later, I get a Facebook messenger request from a name I didn't recognize. It was her. She had made up a fake profile and was telling me I was being super immature and told me that she had some explaining to do. I of course didn't answer. And that was the last I heard of her until a year and a half later. I had signed up 
for an ACT retake exam at my local university. And when I got there and sat down, I looked in front of me about three seats to the right, and she was there. We ended up talking and she apologized for everything she did in a relatively believable manner, and I forgave her. I never found out any of the other things she had told me about her home life if they were true or not. And I made sure to avoid her at all costs, which was a pain because she worked at a cold stone that was two minutes away from my house. And I had to go to the one downtown, which was annoying. I came across her real Facebook profile recently, as well as she seems to be doing well, which I'm glad to see. But as far as our interactions go, let's not meet again. So some context, I have never really been in a long term relationship. I've dated a girl a bit, but I haven't dated a guy. And I've never slept with either. Like anyone else my age, a 20 year old female might do, I started swiping on Tinder to try and put myself out there. I like to think I'm not naive and pretty intuitive about people. But I wasn't perceptive about this guy at all. Jake and I swiped and matched each other two days ago. Jake's first message was telling me that he wanted to meet me and my dog. And he thought we were both cute. Liking his directness, I said we should meet up. The night the first red flag waved was when I didn't answer him back immediately. And he messaged me asking if he was detecting negativity. Chalking it up to nervousness, I apologized and explained why I didn't answer and all was good. Then we planned to meet up last night at the bar. Flag number two was when I arrived at the bar. It's important to note in this state I live in any place selling liquor can't let anyone under 21 in. I didn't know this and had been reassured by Jake that I could get in no problem. Of course, this wasn't true. Luckily, seeing my birthday was just in a week, the bouncer let me in anyway. And within minutes, Jake was at the bar too. Meeting this guy, he seemed normal red leather jacket, chucks, typical normal dude. He orders me a gin and tonic and one for himself. And we settle in and talk. He tells me about his life. He's rich. And his family and I do the same. We play pool at one point. So I put down my drink. And this is when things start to get a little bit blurry. I can't remember most of our conversation up until we happened to get back to my place. I remember us leaving, getting into his car and us getting near to my place. You have to understand I don't drink much. But one drink does not get me drunk. I don't do hangovers. And I barely ever brown out. I never black out. This is important to note. Once in my town, we decide to go to a nearby market to pick up food. As we are there, red flag three occurs. Seeing someone I thought I knew, I told Jake I was going to say hi. He awkwardly backed away and he stood outside at this point, awkwardly backing away and refusing to meet her. I was wrong though. I didn't know the girl and soon rejoined him to walk to my place. As we opened the door, my roommate Maddie opens the door. We say hi, talk a little, and she mentioned she's about to take a shower. Jake at this point creepily makes a ooh sound. Maddie, who is also tipsy at this point, mentions some guy wants to do me. No biggie. It's the way she rolls. But after his expression and the realization of how tired I was and how drunk, 
I say he should go. And he does with no attempt at any physical contact. This is where the story should end, but it doesn't. Within minutes, this dude blows up my phone with messages, saying he's more open-minded like my roommate, calling me boring, implying I'm not attracted to guys, and saying that he felt no chemistry, and he hoped we could have cuddled at least. I show my roommate who gasped, me not getting the full meaning of the open-minded context, remember I'm drunk, and ask why he's so shocked. Finally, I get it. He's implying he wants to sleep with her, and that she is more open to it than I am. Just so creepy. At that point, I'm freaking out, slowly realizing how I'm acting and feeling. Putting together how one drink shouldn't make me feel this way, I realize I might have been slipped something. Maddie and I go to the local police. We report it, and I decide not to get tested. I couldn't explain why. But until you're in my position, possibly drugged at 3am, embarrassed and worried you're wrong, worried you might be charged for underage drinking, it's a lot harder than it looks to go through the whole process. The story ends like this. He's blocked, I'm terrified because he knows where I lived, and with me sleeping off whatever was in my body. Jack, please don't do that to a girl again, and let's never meet. You're so gross. This happened when I was young. My best friend and I were both obsessed with Pokemon Gold and Silver. We would spend our weekends at each other's houses, battling and trading all day until we were called home or got mad at each other after a particularly rage-filled battle. Our neighborhood was pretty small, and the two streets connecting our houses created an L-shape, with her house at the top corner of the L and mine at the bottom right. Her street led downhill to my street, and my street was flat. This will come back to play later. It was a mobile park home, and at the time it was safe for kids to walk through the neighborhood alone. But since then, it's gotten bad. This particular afternoon, I was walking back to my house with my pink Game Boy Color and link cable in hand, probably really stoked to get back home and continue playing. I didn't even notice a man crossing the street and walking quickly in my direction. Thinking back, this guy was probably in his late slash early 20s. And at the time, though being a little girl who was small for her age, I remember thinking that he was a grown adult, and that maybe my dad's age. And I was raised to always respect people older than me, so I stopped to smile at him. He smiled really sweetly at me, and when he was standing in front of me, he said, I really like your headband. You looked like that girl from that movie. Now for reference, when I was in elementary school, I looked like the splitting image of Matilda, but with glasses. I always wore these 90s headbands and bangs. I secretly loved being compared to her because I really liked that movie. Thanks, Matilda's one of my favorite movies, I said, and started to take a step again, but the guy shifted his weight, moving in my direction. Oh, you have a Game Boy. What are you playing? Pokemon Silver, I said to him. His face lit up and he stepped closer. Oh, how many gym badges do you have? I know a secret to how to get them all and the hidden ones. For some reason, I felt inferior all of a sudden because I had just made it to the Kanto region, which is the second half of the game, 
and having all of the badges sounded really cool. And hidden ones? This guy sounded amazing. It makes me sick thinking how naive I was. But I didn't say anything and he said, I could show you. I remember looking up at him and he was staring hard into my eyes, the most intense stare I'd ever seen. Okay, I said almost immediately. Oh, but he looked down at his watch and sighed. I can't right now, I have to go. But would you be able to come back here at 10.30? I can show you how to do it then. Can you sneak out? That's when the alarm bells in my head started to ring. Come out after dark, sneak out. I don't even know this guy's name. Stranger danger flashed behind my eyes and he must have seen it because he said, it's okay, I'm a friend. My friend will be there too. He's your age. I'm going to show him how to get the badges too. Maybe you two can battle. I remember saying okay to him, but my mind was racing. I was raised to be polite and didn't know how to say no and just walk the hell away. I did know that there was no way I was going to meet this guy after dark. He grinned and started saying bye with his hands in his pockets. He backed away. Okay, cool. We'll meet right here at 10.30. Bye. He turned around and walked across the street again and up the hill. I continued walking down the street until I turned onto mine, glancing back. The guy was watching me and was back on the side of the street where we were on before. I walked quickly down my street and when I was almost home, I looked back again. Sure enough, the guy was on my street. Though he was in a neighbor's yard, silently standing behind a big lilac bush they had. I was terrified at this point. He was following me, trying to see which house is mine. What do I do? I kept walking until I just randomly booked it through a neighbor's yard, and I ran uphill through yards until I made it all the way across back to my friend's backyard. I wasn't going to try and go back in, but I was afraid to lead the creep to my friend. Her parents weren't home, so what could we do? I didn't see him, but I did hear what sounded like someone running on grass. It may not have been him, but I ran downhill again, making a beeline to my house. I never looked back, and I ran inside and slammed the door. I don't remember what I told my parents, but I remember that I was scared and would get in trouble for talking to strangers. So I made up some lie about why I was running and went into my room. I didn't sleep that night. I was terrified he would show up at my window and break in. After that, I think my parents either knew something was wrong, or maybe there were other kids in the area being talked to by him, because I never walked the friend's house alone after that. My mum either walked me, or my friend and I met at the middle point of our streets and walked each other back to the middle. I don't know if the guy was just trying to find a way to steal my Game Boy, or if he was planning on something else. But I'm glad we never met again. I take the bus to my work, and the bus drops me off about 15 minutes walking distance. I play Pokemon Go, and intended to walk to some of the poker stops that are on the way to my work. I got off the bus, and a couple of people get off as well, including this one older man who's about 65. I started walking on autopilot to the sidewalk next to the road, but then remembered the poker stops and pivoted around and switched my direction by 90 degrees. 
This old man, who had been walking behind me, got in the same direction that I was in, and noticed that I started going the other way, and immediately changed his direction as well, and started following behind me. I turned into the small strip mall that hosted the poker stops. I wanted to go and see the first one, so I walk up to it and stop and chill for a few minutes collecting stuff from the stop and catching a couple of people that had popped up. He passed me, acting like he was going about his business, but then stops in front of a store 30 feet away from where I was standing and begins looking at the window. Keep in mind, all of these stores are closed at this point. It's 6am, he has no phone in hand, so I know he's not playing the game either. And he keeps glancing back at me, as I keep my eye on him. He eventually walks off and disappears around the corner, as the whole strip mall was curved, so it was easy for him to vanish from my vision. I walked in the direction he went in to get to the next poker stop, and I pass a wall on my right. As I pass the wall, he sees me and starts following me again. I'm pretty weirded out at this point. I don't stop at any more poker stops and just keep walking to collect the items from them as I pass. All the while, he's following behind me. And I was worried that I was just being overly paranoid and decided to test to see whether he's following me or not. I stop at the last stop at the mall and dilly-dally on my phone for a few. And then he does the same thing where he waits for me and starts following me again as I pass. I give him a dirty look when I look behind me and then speed walk to an office complex that was across the street from my job, as I didn't want him to know where I worked. I sat down at these secluded benches they have in front of them, where a poker stop was at. I never saw him again after that, but when I get off the bus tomorrow, I'm definitely going to be filming if he does it again. What should I do if he repeats this? All I know is that I don't want to meet me again. When I was 15, a friend and I went for a lot of walks around town, small town around five to 6,000 people. We're going to this cyber cafe to meet a few friends, and we often took different streets to get places just to keep it interesting. We were about to go to the main street off one of the side streets and a man on a bicycle approached us. He got off his bike and asked a couple of questions. Something didn't seem right about him. He was mid 40s and we both kept inching away, but didn't want to come off as rude. So, we answered about the weather or traffic. Then he paused, and we said we had to go. And he said, You look so young. I don't want you to get in trouble, but I need to touch someone. I just need to touch you. You should come with me. I just felt terror overtake me. I couldn't speak. I grabbed my friend's hand and turned. We sprinted the rest of the way to the cafe, and as soon as we were inside, we used the phone. I called my mum to pick us up while my friend told the co-worker what happened and what the guy looked like. A month later, I received my first cell phone. I was playing Pokemon Go last night during an event, and like an idiot, I walked into a park by myself in the dark. There were a few late-night dog walkers and people around there when I arrived, so I thought it was fine. But by the time I got all the Pokemon in the area, everyone that was around there had left, and I was all alone in the dark. So it was about then when I was like, okay, 
Something's gonna happen to me out here. It's time to leave. And boy am I glad I did. As I get about halfway down the driveway, a car passed at full speed, turns around at the dead end of the park, and then drives back past me. I was a little spooked because I was very aware of how easy a victim I am right now, but maybe they were just lost. As I continue walking and catching things, while I walk, the car drives past me three more times. There's nothing down this road except the car park and the park and myself. So now I'm thoroughly spooked. The fourth and fifth time they drive past, they slow down right next to me and then zoom off again around a corner. In a moment of sheer panic, I ran to a nearby parked car, dove underneath it and lay still. Lo and behold, the car comes back around and slows down in the spot where I was before. A car door opens and a guy gets out, walks around for a bit and then swears, gets back into his car and then drives away faster than before. I laid under that car for ages before I ran home via a well-lit road. Although I've definitely learnt not to wander around by myself at night anymore, I have no idea who the creepy guy was in the car, and I'd rather never find out. Me and my family live on a big farm, out in the outskirts of a town. We often have friends come over and play games like Manhunt in the surrounding area. An important detail to note is that the farm is pretty much open. Anyone can waltz in, but most people don't, obviously, as it's private property. Well, one day we're playing Manhunt. It's about the middle of the day, and we're running around the place screaming. That's when we hear an unusual scream coming from the direction of the willow tree. We run over and get underneath its branches that actually hide someone from being seen. My cousin, who is about 16, is screaming. There's a man who is literally chasing her. We all look around and we see him stalking the edge of one of the fields. We start freaking out. My cousin says that she was hiding behind another tree, and he came up from behind her, put both his hands on his shoulders and said, This isn't gonna hurt. And she just kicked and ran. But the man was persistent. She had no idea what his intentions were, but she didn't want to find out. We got inside, called the police, and when they arrived, he was gone. From that day forward, we looked into getting some serious security. Gates, cameras, it just wasn't worth the risk anymore. This happened a week ago. I was sitting in the living room, crocheting. I was out there with my mother, watching cooking shows, when she left for a bit. I was sitting quietly, just focusing on my craft when I heard something strange. Loud 8-bit music. I thought for a second it was my cell phone, but when I checked, nothing. I went around the room, even listened closely to my laptop that I had the crocheting pattern on, just in case it was a pop-up ad. Nothing. I eventually made it to my room, and the music is getting louder. I go over to this container that I had a bunch of miniature things in. Inside I find my old Game Boy Pocket Edition, 
one of those really tiny ones with preloaded games and you couldn't change the cartridge. It had an alarm going off. I never set an alarm, and I hadn't turned this device on since I was 10. I got it in 2006. At the time, the calendar was chronologically correct, reading off 2006 when I got it. However, instead of reading 2019, it now read February 7th, 1998. I was born on February 7th, 1996. The date of this strange alarm was my second birthday. It was one of the strangest things I have ever experienced in recent months. How peculiar. My fiance and I are camping, as we've done many of times in a particular state park that we enjoy. Everything was normal. We made some dinner on the fire, stayed up a bit, and then let the fire die down and went to the tent to smoke. Despite listening to at least 100,000 of these Reddit stories, the woods never scared me. This night though, was the night my brain decided that a reoccurring nightmare about someone walking around our tent would be a good idea. So I'm going through these cycles of dreaming that I've woken up to footsteps around the tent and try to wake up my fiance, fail, dream it again, and eventually wake up completely to realize there's nothing there, right? Three or four rounds into this mess and I wake up to the footsteps again. This time I realize I'm not dreaming. There are definitely footsteps. Then I hear a deep, low throaty growl and I'm nearly petrified. I manage to reach over and wake my fiance, whispering quietly, there's something outside our tent. He wakes up and we continue to hear something walking around the tent, growling and snarling. We're wetting ourselves. We can't decide if it's something big because by the vocalizations, it sounds it, but I'm hoping the footsteps are just amplified as they generally are in the woods. And maybe this is just a really aggressive squirrel in a trench coat or something. We're trying to peek out but can't see anything. The noise has moved to the edge of the site and there's a lot of snarling and animals screaming, then silence. Then it's on the other side of the tent. It's making it really hard to decide what to do. We're both trying to be silent while gathering what little feeble weapons we have. Me and my pink canister of saber pepper gel, and him a few weapons that we brought to cut bits of rope and carry in case of emergencies. We don't even have the hatchet because I let him pack while I was at work, which means we had about 85% of the important things we needed. I did this to myself. Clearly, we are doomed. There's some screaming going on along the edge of the site now. It sounds like every small animal in the northeastern United States is being skinned alive around our tent. I'm shaking like a leaf, no exaggeration. And I had to stand because the adrenaline pumping felt like I smoked a Bobby Brown's lifetime worth of crack. We still cannot pinpoint where this thing is, what it is, or catch any glimpses from our tent. We are definitely done for in the woods here. It's late in the season and there's maybe one other occupied site and we showed up too late to even check in. So no doubt, we're about to be a couple of unidentifiable mystery malls and I'm losing my mind because I have a kid. 
Finally, it's been a few minutes since we heard any shrieks or growls. Last we heard, this thing sounded like it were a few sights away. And so we're gonna grab our wallets, leave the supplies, and get out of here, and make a run for the car. We zoom the hell out of there. It's 2am, and we get some slim gins at a convenience store. We go home for the night, gear up in the morning with some high power CO2 weapons, hatchets, knife, you name it, and we go back. We didn't find anything. We made friends with a troop of tubby trash pandas for the rest of the trip, and kind of always wondered if, you know, perhaps it was actually just our three raccoons in a trench coat terrorizing us that night. I'll never know, and it's better that way. Seven years ago, I was a preteen, a 12 year old girl, and was really into the world of Warcraft, like really into it. I would wake up at 4am and play until I had school, and then play until I had to sleep. During summer break, I would play all day every day. So when I was 13, I joined a guild that seemed to have a lot of chill people, just into achievement hunting, pug runs, and would help with quests for the lower levels. There was this one man called Bear, and he would start messaging me all the time, getting me to go on vent all the time. Of course, I was a naive 13 year old girl and thought this was okay and kind of exciting. So we would talk a lot and eventually I added him to a secondary Facebook account I made specifically for him, which didn't have my address or anything. There were a few pictures of me, and he would comment on them and call me beautiful and such. After creeping through his profile, I realized he looked a lot older than me, and having never asked him his age before, I finally and nonchalantly bring it up. Bear with zero shame admits he's double my age at 26. I don't really know what to do, so I just act like it's all fine, and he starts getting creepy on me right after I asked his age. Every time he asked me to go on vent, he began dirty talking me. And I don't mean lovely seduction stuff. I mean like, have you ever had someone lick you all the way up your spine? I'd love to be your first, and creepy stuff like that. I never said anything more than, oh, back. And he always took that as I was shy and uneducated. And I let him believe that. This went on for several months, and he would just send half-naked pictures to my Facebook account, and got creepier by the day. I left the guild and blocked him on everything, when he said he had a surprise for me. And upon asking what it was, figuring it would be a cool mount or companion, he said he was saving up money and gonna fly to me. He knew which province I lived in Canada, and he was in the States. Without me telling him, and he was going to come take me away, and make me feel things I'd never felt before. I haven't heard from him since, deleted my Facebook account and switched servers. But to this day, I'm always keeping my eye out for that creep, since I don't know if he still has it in his head to try and steal me away. Considering he narrowed down my whereabouts, he could probably do much more. I hope to never meet him. I'm going to tell you about my first boyfriend. He was my first kiss, and also my first abusive relationship. We started dating when I was a preteen. 
He was super attentive and protective of me from the very beginning. It wasn't until the fifth month when I started noticing the alarms going off in my head. He had taken me on a cute roller skating date, and we had sat down for a bit to take a break when two of his friends showed up. At this point, the vibe from him was no longer safe. The smile he had five minutes beforehand was replaced with a look of pure hatred. He switched into this odd predator mode and told me to kiss him with tongue in front of his friends. I told him that I was just not ready to do something like that, and especially not in front of other people. He didn't like that answer and pulled my face to his and started forcing his tongue in my mouth. I was a pretty small girl, but luckily, I was able to push him away long enough to start running towards a more populated part of the skate rink. I told him to stay away from me while I waited for my mum to pick me up. I didn't tell my mum what happened, because I was in shock and confused. I was young and didn't want to get into trouble for kissing a boy, so I decided to just ignore him until I was able to process everything. A week of successfully avoiding him at school passes, when he worked up the nerve to try something again. He found me surrounded by a group of friends and decided to try his luck. I didn't even notice he was there until we were practically bumping elbows. Being that close to him definitely put me on edge, and I nearly defecate myself when he started to speak to me. It was all pointless small talk, until he realized I wasn't in the forgiving mood when his mood shifted like before, and he was just staring at me like I was the most disgusting human on the planet. I was holding one of those old portable CD players when he yanked it out my hand and started trying to shove it in his bag in an attempt to steal it. I yelled at him to give it back and tried prying it from him, which apparently took offense to him because he punched me in the face with enough force to drop me to the ground. I obviously started crying and we were both sent to the principal's office. His dad was the football coach in that Midwestern community, so he was able to talk the principal into only requiring his son to attend detention once for punishment. We didn't see each other too much after that, and thankfully ended up going to different high schools. Then I run into him at Taco Bell drive-thru my sophomore year. I didn't realize he was the cashier, until I was at the window about to pay when we made awkward eye contact. I pretended to not recognize him and hurried with the transaction until I was able to speed away. Unfortunately, he saw our chance meeting as a sign of fate and attempted to send the equivalent of you up to my Facebook profile. Unfortunately, I can never unsee his ultra cringy attempt at flirtation. I think I saw you at Taco Bell today. I was the cashier. You're pretty cute, and I was wondering if you wanted to send some pics. My response was an immediate block, and I made sure to let my sister know about the incident because I just had to tell someone. If I had known then just how dangerous this teenage boy would become, I wouldn't have taken any of the incidents so lightly. But I'm not psychic, and after some awkward laughs, I moved on with my life and continued to date less rubbish people. Fast forward to today, 
when my sister sends me an article from her local news report featuring my dear first boyfriend's picture. Apparently, he decided to attack someone with a large weapon in the throat at a popular venue when they tried defending a woman he was physically attacking. We dated nearly 10 years ago, but I still can't shake the feeling that I definitely dodged a bullet. It's a strange feeling when you realize that dangerous people are weaving in and out of your life without you even knowing before it's too late sometimes. According to the comments in this article, he had a habit of assaulting the women in his life and had a history with obsessive stalking. I imagine justice will be served swiftly due to the manner of the crimes and overwhelming evidence supporting a case against this psychopath. I hope we never meet again. I was in our local park playing Harry Potter Wizards Unite. It's a good place because there are four stops that give you energy, so I just go back and forth while playing. It is insanely hot outside, so there is just me, some people with their kids on the playground, which is a bit off behind the trees so they can't see or hear me, and some guy wandering around like I do but without a phone. I go around playing my game and not thinking anything of it. He was probably just waiting for someone. He, like me, goes from shadow to shadow because the sun is just too hot. I sit on a bench for a while, and while playing I see him behind some of the houses in the park. It's an old cultural park with an old windmill and such, and these houses host private events sometimes. There is a tight space between these with bushes and train tracks behind and beneath. The most exciting thing back there is heart-shaped confetti and garbage. I go here every day, I know that. The guy gets closer and sits beneath a tree just besides me. He sits there for a while and then says something. I push my earphones aside and ask him what he said. He was just trying to make small talk and didn't speak much of my language as we have tons of immigrants and he was very obviously one of them. It was clear he didn't understand what I said. I just play on and sit quietly for a while. I get up, go 20 meters forward to reach a stop. When I turn around to go back, he's right behind me. He then follows me back to the houses and asks my name and if I live alone and if I'm married. I do, but of course I tell him I live with my boyfriend. He then points to the back of the houses and wants to show me something. I tell him no, and he grabs my wrist real hard and begins to pull. I resist, and he thankfully let go. I just keep on babbling that there's nothing too interesting there. There's just tracks and bushes. I find this all really creepy, and I'm being too polite. I start walking out of the park, and he followed me. He walked beside me like we were friends. In the beginning, I think it's just a cultural thing, but we are extremely rigid, and hate talking to strangers, but they often seem to like it and can be very friendly. I can be polite and sociable if I have to, but this is pushing my buttons and is way too creepy. I live right near the park and he's still here, right beside me not saying much, but obviously going with me. I decide to go to my boyfriend's house, and that were the longest 10 minutes of my life. He occasionally asks more questions, do I live in a house, stuff like that and I keep on playing my game, pretending to be somewhat in my own world. 
When we're almost at the neighborhood my boyfriend has his house in, I cross the road to get there. He misses it and keeps going forward. And when he sees that, I just wave, bye. I walk a bit further, but then he crosses the road through traffic. I thought I'd lost him. He goes in front of me and turns right and walks away, like the goodbye stuck. I try to walk calmly round the houses where my boyfriend lives, but I just want to run and I unlock the door and rush in. My boyfriend comes downstairs and wonders what I'm doing there so early, so I just throw myself in his arms. I had him walk me home and then call the cops. I didn't think there was much they could do. I have no idea who this person is or what his name was or what he wanted, but at least it's on paper now in case anything else happens. I remember when I spoke to the cops, I said that he was not already in the park when I got there and that he walked past me when I arrived because I stopped to get the stops in the game. That meant he came from the same street I did, which also leads to my real house, which is, as I said, super close. I'm just hoping he didn't see me exit. I know nothing happened, but it was really creepy. I don't want to stop going to my local park, but he's really made me feel uncomfortable. I think I'll stay inside today. I have a neighbor that I've gone along with since I moved in eight years ago. My neighbor is a policeman and lives with his wife and his only daughter. He's a very kind person, enough so that he has helped many people financially and given people a roof over their heads to help improve their lives. He has taken two men into his house that he feeds and helped get jobs. They were so kind and funny people that even I liked them and they've helped me many a times and made my life a bit more fun. I always saw them in and out of my neighbor's house until one day they stopped going. I figured that they had found a house after months of searching and two weeks after, I visited them since I finally graduated college. I go to their house and when the door was open, it was the wife, Veronica. Her face was pale as if all her energy was drained out of her. She broke down into tears in front of me. I walked inside and we walked towards the living room and she tells me that her husband, Robert, is in jail. This is from Veronica's perspective. On the 24th of May, 2016, Robert had told me to bring Jessica, their daughter, to school because she was late. I agreed as he then left for work. Jessica comes to me, telling me she's not ready to leave. I look at her and tell her that I'm going to be late for work and ask if she could walk to school. She said she could. I gave her some snacks and she left. Three hours later, they call me from school saying she never got to class. I'm scared. I call Robert and tell him that Jessica isn't at school. So he asks his superior to let him look for her with his three others. And they agreed. He searched everywhere and it occurred to him that she might be home. He goes home and walked towards the front door and sees traces of blood. Thinking someone other than his daughter was inside, he pulled out his firearm and signaled his partner to come in with him. He slightly opened the door and start walking fast following the trail of blood, expecting the worst. The blood leads him to Jessica's room 
and he opens the door terrified of what he might find. He opens the door and finds his daughter silently crying. Jessica was bleeding between her legs, her face swollen from what appeared to be beating, and her face looked dead. She couldn't even stand properly. He gave his firearm to his partner and ran to his daughter. He asked what happened, tears running down his cheeks. Moments after, I arrive from work to start the search, and I walk in to see the traces of blood and begin to panic, and run to Jessica's room like my life depends on it. I shove the door open wide and see her. I couldn't help but cry. I ask her what happened and I'm sobbing like crazy. Robert's partner called backup and an ambulance. Robert didn't let me hold Jessica. He kept holding her as if his grip around her would help. I felt like a useless mother. The ambulance arrived and they took her to the hospital and Robert volunteered to go with her and left me in the house as police officers questioned me but there was nothing for me to say. I was shocked. Soon after they let me go to the hospital and I asked where my daughter was. They told me that they took Jessica into surgery because as you can probably guess by now, she was the victim of something horrific. Someone broke her from the inside and out. My legs weakened and I fell to the floor crying uncontrollably. I knew it was my fault. The nurses came and helped me into a room where Robert was waiting. He looked at me and asked with his face strained, you didn't take Jessica to school, did you? I stood quiet. I couldn't even speak, only cry. He then began yelling at me. He said, you didn't take her to school and this is what happened to her. I started crying even harder while nodding. I expected him to hit me, since I deserved it. But he didn't let me feel guilty. He left guilt consume me more than it already had. Several hours later, the doctor came, saying everything went fine, but she had lost a lot of blood, and had suffered brain trauma, and that she wouldn't be able to have children in the future. Since they had to take out her reproductive organs, they were in that bad of a condition. Robert looks at me, stands up, and walks away. The doctors tried to stop him, since he wasn't in the right state of mind to go, but he still left. Eight days after, Jessica is at home, and won't let me help her bathe or even touch her. Her smiles, her happiness, and her childhood have all been taken away from me, and I'm to blame. The day after, Robert goes to Walmart to buy groceries. He spots the two men who left the house along with three other people and as he got close, he heard them say that they did that to our daughter. That they took turns doing it. That Robert was an idiot, and he wouldn't even figure out it was them. Robert got angry, but he bought the groceries, and as he went out, he saw the men and acted as if nothing had happened. They greeted each other normally, and Robert smiled and went to his car and cried. He couldn't believe the people he helped would do something so horrifying to a child after he trusted them. So he went home and with the groceries went to the master bedroom and left again. He himself said in court that he waited until dark, took the two firearms he owned and went on a motorcycle and finished their lives. He went to the police and confessed 
what he had done. They put him in prison, and it didn't take long for him to go to court. The evidence was in his favor, since they found that what was inside our daughter belonged to the men. He confessed as guilty and explained why he did it, and apologized to the mothers of the two men, saying that their sons were disgusting after he helped them, that they hurt his daughter, and now she's traumatized, will never look at life the same, has lost her innocence and will never be able to have children, and that if he had to, he would do it again. One of the mothers forgave them since she would have done the same thing, and she accepted her son was no angel. And after he had done something so horrible to a child, while the other woman never forgave him. This is the end of Veronica's perspective. Robert was sentenced to 10 years in jail, but got out after four for good behavior. When in truth, the judge was a good friend, who on the second case did cut his jail term short. Throughout those years, Jessica and her mother had been going to family therapy, and a psychologist and I have been trying to help them. Jessica, now 12, has improved a bit, but is still scared of the outside world. She enjoys the time with me more than with her mother, and she's still seeing a therapist but hates to talk about what happened that day as it's drilled into her mind. From my perspective, he doesn't deserve that time in jail, but who am I to judge? I would do the same if someone were to hurt a child of mine. This just goes to show that no matter how kind someone is to someone else, they might not receive the same treatment, and that in the end, we don't know who to trust. Have a good day, and be aware of your surroundings. I was in a mall in Indonesia, and two tourists seemed to be having problems communicating with the cashier at a bookstore, so I helped translate. They wanted to buy me drinks to thank me. I told them it wasn't necessary, as I had to go back to my mum soon. They told me to meet them for dinner, and I told them I have to have dinner at home. They told me to sneak out and meet them after dinner. At this point, a bookstore staff noticed something was wrong, and went up to question them. My sister and I dashed off while we were distracted. We continued wandering around the mall and realized they were following us, and to see if we were just paranoid, we ducked into a lingerie store since we figured two men wouldn't usually need to go into one of these places, and they followed us in. We ran so quickly back to the jewelry store our mum was at. The store, thankfully, had intimidating security guards, and I guess that stopped these guys. For context, I was 11, and my sister was 10. I was walking to the store at about 10pm. I left my house to walk onto the empty sidewalk, and I hardly saw any cars in the street. As I was walking up ahead, I saw a car with headlights on, but I didn't see anyone in or around it. The door to the driver and passenger seats were open. I noped out and decided I wanted to take the shortcut instead, which was to hop over this alley wall instead to get there faster. I didn't want to walk on the same street as the ghost car, so I jumped over the wall via these pile of bricks, and I find myself at the back of this building leading to the parking lot. I walk over to the side of the building to head over to the store where I'm planning to buy some snacks. So as I'm walking, I turn on Pokemon Go, because I realized there were nearby stops, so I pulled my phone out, catch a few Pokemon, get a few eggs and the like. 
Afterwards, I put my phone away, and as I'm getting close to the store, this car comes off the road, pulling into the parking lot and drives right by me. The driver looks at me, and I look at him. He looks like an older guy with grey hair, mid-fifties. You wanna get some action? If I didn't specify already, I'm a guy. I got scared as hell, it was so random and such a weird question. I replied with a firm, no. Right after I said that, he suddenly drives off the street away from me, all the way down the freeway. I then run back to my house from a different route to be safe. That was one of the weirdest, strangest, and creepiest encounters I've had to date.